something big. Uh, but uh, it's one of those, as you can hear from that song, and there's most of the songs on that record are very transcending. Like they're very visual, like James Bond songs are. They, you, you know, it's very prone to imagination, very visual, like a uh, cinem- What's the word I'm looking for? Cinematic. Cinematic. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do this. Let's do this. So I want to start by welcoming everybody back to Tech News Around the Whole Damn World <laughs> and a happy Wednesday <laughs> and wherever you happen to be. And I want to start off today by calling out, uh, well, let's let's get uh, Fatin and Dr. Francine Hardaway up here on the stage because it just ain't the same without all you smart folks up here. And... and um, here, let's get Manaz and JT. And then uh, somebody new raising their hand. Raj, Rajat, I think this might be your first time. So let's behave ourselves, Rajat. Um, so anyway, the here, here's what I wanted to start with is, and why I, I wanted to ping you in the room here, Wizza. Is Wizza still on stage, right? Yeah, there you are. So tomorrow at this time, actually, one hour, where we do this uh, every day, twice a day, uh, which you can see by clicking on the title of this room, our regular schedule. However, tomorrow we're going to start in this time zone an extra one hour early to bring some invest- African investors and African startups together live on stage to pitch for actual real, it's a, these are real pitches for real money. And we, the goal is uh, based uh, to to hopefully um, get some uh, make some valuable connections, uh, and this is not uh, some trivial um, clubhouse kind of gimmick. This is as Johan on stage, any Swede in the whole audience can tell you, um, the, an event I've been doing every month for eight years in Stockholm, and. The every month we normally have three startup pitches and usually three or four or five months after that, we have an announcement that one of them you know, got funding. Every month we have several funding announcements on stage at that event and including the startups who pitched, you know, two, three months before, because it takes a little bit of time for them to, to make the deals happen. But um, out of out of, you know, eight years of doing this event every month, we're now doing them in Clubhouse, which I think is cool for the Clubhouse audience. And I think it's super cool because normally we focus on the Nordics because the investors normally fly into Stockholm to be on stage. And, but we're not able to meet physically in Stockholm. So we're meeting virtually in Clubhouse. And that's why we're taking advantage of the fact that we can expand the, the geography beyond the Nordics. And let's, let's, while we're doing it virtually, we might as well do you know, Asia like we did last month and Africa like we're doing tomorrow. And that's why I'm super excited about it. I, <laughs> I just want to call it out because Mabwana uh, speaks highly of you. With uh, uh, he mentioned uh, um, the, your startup, and um, I, I'm super excited to see these pitches tomorrow, and to see how the how the investors respond. You know, and and to, to kind of illustrate the point, uh, the best VC in the world, by many most people's estimation, would be Sequoia Capital, who just within the last uh, a week or two, just did uh, an investment in Africa. And that tells me uh, normally when Sequoia starts doing investments, all the other investors pay attention. And so I think it's perfectly 
suitable that we're happen to be focusing on Africa this month uh, for this tech meetup. So I hope you all join us tomorrow. It'll be an hour before right now. Uh, and then we'll do it for an hour. And then we'll go into the tech news after that. Uh, but please do try and join us an hour early for that. And um, There you go. That's awesome, man. Uh, I'm really, really excited about that. Um, I think for a very long time, the African tech ecosystem has been a little bit uh, disjointed from activities in the rest of the world because like the fundamental nature of the challenges being solved here are um, just different from many other parts of the world. But now with, with the development that is taking place in the last few years, I think there's a lot of like parallels that are being drawn. And yesterday, Patrick Collison, um, the CEO of Stripe, um, he tweeted about like Stripe launching payment links on the Stripe platform, things that have like existed on African payment platforms for the last four years. And he, like, he acknowledged that part of the, the, the benefit in Stripe's diversification strategy is to be able to draw um, lessons from other global players. So there's, there's a lot going on. I think um, Africa is a really exciting market. Um, by 20, 2030, 2050, we should have the world's youngest working population. And I think that like represents a massive opportunity for both investors and operators looking to create massive impact and incredible returns. 100%. Because I'm looking at India now. And by the way, Monica just did a Asia tech room. And people had been sleeping on India, like all across Europe and the US. A Sequoia wasn't. Sequoia did some Indian investments. And we happen to have a, uh, an, uh, a start, one of the biggest startups in Stockholm in the last you know eight years is Truecaller, which is entirely focused on India as their market. And they went there to sort of test it out. And the market they realized was so big, they never needed to go anywhere else beyond it because, you know, it's a billion plus people. They became a unicorn just focusing on India. Um, and so that's when I realized, like, wow, India is no joke. And now we are seeing and we've been tracking. It's I, I mean, it sounds like a joke. It's like every day. I, and that sounds like an exaggeration, but it barely is. I'm it's li- I guess every other day there's a new unicorn in India now. And my point is, is that, you know, when when things come together, um, you know, that when when the neurons start, you know, connecting, all of a sudden things start firing. Next thing you know, the pan's boiling and boom. And and now the unicorns are popping out of there like popcorn, like right when the, the kernels get to that right temperature. And then it's just uh, popcorn popping like crazy over there. And my prediction is, is in the same way that people slept on India and now the unicorns are just popping out of the bowl over there. Um, the, I'm watching now a little more closely like, ah, Af- it's actually Africa where the simmer is started. The oil is starting to simmer and it'll be, you know, it, they just had their first, you know, one of their first unicorns there in Lagos. And it was a fintech and the, the, the same sequence of events is starting to unfold. And that's why Sequoia just came in there and all the early indicators are all starting to happen. And a year or two from now, it'll be similar to where India is at, where it's just, you know, all, all of the connections are being made and um, the popcorn starts popping over there. So I, I think the key, if you if you really want to, uh, just as you just said, like the framework is being set up now. And uh, the cement, the foundations being laid right now, and um, I'm I'm watching it with intense fascination. So I'm super looking forward to tomorrow. 
Yeah, awesome. One thing I would love uh, for you to do for me, Tyler, mm-hmm. I'm going to DM you on Twitter yep. a link to an article that I want you to tweet from the um, Tech News Around the World okay. Twitter account. It's called The Chicken or the Exit. Uh, it's a very, very detailed analysis of um, the state of Africa's ecosystem, um, especially when it comes to the question of like, um, are liquidity events happening? Are there enough unicorns? And it has got some very exciting data comparing the rate uh, of new unicorns per year Mm -hmm. uh, for different regions. It's got great data for Latin America, India, China, and and Africa. And uh, I don't want to spoil it for people, but like just read through it. It's a fantastic read. And I think it'll give uh, everyone quite a bit of color and context on what's going to happen in Africa over the next few years. Very cool. <laughs> I, I, we've got, by the way, I think we still have room for one more startup to pitch in the event tomorrow and maybe room for one more investor. So if if it if you or somebody you know should be on stage tomorrow, because we're going to limit it to just a handful of investors and startups just to keep it tight. Uh, but if you think you know somebody, uh, please DM me directly on my Twitter, uh, as Wizza just did, and the chicken or the exit, and I'm going to retweet it out right now, Wizza, thank you. Um, if I do as uh, Wizza just did, and please DM me on Twitter, if you think you know or you happen to be an investor or startup in Africa that should be part of this event tomorrow. And I'm tweeting this out from the Tech News Around the World Twitter account, which is very simply T-N-A-T-W, which is conveniently short for Tech News Around the World. Um, and, that's, and there's two reasons you should follow Tech News Around the World. There's actually three very good reasons. Number one, when we talk about articles in this room, as we do every two, three, four minutes, we tweet out a link to the article we are talking about, and you can click on it and read it if that's convenient for you, wherever you happen to be. Uh, number two, you know, if you happen to miss us here one day, you can get a sense for what we covered, uh, and you can submit stories for us to cover. Uh, please don't DM them to me. Uh, it's much better that you tweet them from your Twitter account and include our Twitter account, TNATW, and then I get a notification, and I can see it, and I can easily retweet it. Um just as I can do right now with um, Monica just sent in a tweet about uh, uh, the new growing unicorn in India called Koo, K-O-O, which is, uh, I just retweeted just now, uh, very simply. So she found a tweet that she likes. She included uh, the TNATW Twitter account and tweet and boom, one click and I can retweet it to everybody. And I have to say we're, that that Twitter account is now up to like 1,200 followers and we're adding nearly 100 Twitter followers a day. So within no time, I think we'll get up to 10,000 followers and it'll be quite quite a very useful tool. Um, and yeah, let's jump into it. There's no shortage of headlines. Um, we, we've got a lot of people with hands up already. And it looks like, Darren, you might be from the continent, so I'd love to hear what you got to say. Amanda, you're always welcome up here, yeah. of course. Um, so just a note there, Tyler. Uh-huh. Darren's actually the co-author of the article that oh, I fantastic. just referenced, The Chicken or the Exit. So awesome. he's a great person to have on, and I would love to have him for the events tomorrow as oh, well. Oh, perfect. He's one of the continent's smartest analysts. Well, I'm, that's an instant follow. On uh, if you, If it's good enough for you, I'm incredibly stingy with my follows, but Darren, you are my new follow. Um, what's going on, Darren? I just no. Tweet- I mean, thanks. Yeah, I just thanks for following. I, yeah, yeah. I yeah. just I just tweeted out your the article uh, that Wiza sent me in my DMs. So uh, I'll I'll going to dive into that. Speaking of articles and DMs, let's jump into tech news around the world here, and he, this one is really interesting. 
the in the previous time zone when we met about seven hours ago um we were talking about uh india uh and whatsapp which is the big big story let's start there because this is still the big big story but i don't want to spend too much time on it but i have there's a new development that i need to to clue everybody in on that's super interesting so at Monica and others were breaking the story. And my God, Monica, you got a lot of retweets on this story today, did you not? Um, this WhatsApp. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, how many how many retweets did you get on this story? Fifty-eight or sixty, which is fairly significant, but the yeah. engagement was pretty high. Yeah. So WhatsApp is suing the Indian government over WhatsApp's new privacy rules. And they are claiming that uh, WhatsApp has filed a lawsuit in Delhi against the Indian government seeking to block um, regulations coming into force on Wednesday that experts say would compel Facebook's messaging app to break privacy protections. And basically, WhatsApp is trying to save its own ass because India is putting in new regulations that would block WhatsApp from India. And so WhatsApp doesn't want to leave India. And at the same time, WhatsApp doesn't want to change its privacy policy. So WhatsApp's going to do what Americans always do is uh, take it to court. <laughs> and um, uh, I don't know if, the, if that will work in India the same way it works in America, because basically in the U.S., everything ends up in court. And that's a very uh, uh, tested, tried and true way to slow down any decision <laughs> is you know, get the lawyers involved and take it to court. And that, that extends, you know, gives you another two or three years to keep doing business as usual while the courts figure it out. And in this case, mm, China doesn't play that way, by the way. Uh, when China tells you to do something, you don't get to take it to court, right? as their big tech companies just have been learning lately. They got 15 days to fix their uh, data privacy issues uh, was in the news. And WhatsApp is going to find out very soon what... India, the Indian government's going to do about their privacy policies. And Twitter as well uh, learned t about 24 hours ago when the government sent down a group of gentlemen down to Twitter's uh, HQ in India to ask them what the hell's going on um, and why is Twitter adding little warnings to the tweets being sent out by the government. And, and rather than send an email or a phone call, they sent down a handful of gentlemen in person uh, to inquire as to uh, what the hell's going on exactly. But uh, luckily for Twitter, nobody was at the office that day, but it was all captured on video and we retweeted that, you know, yesterday. Now, the that's what's going on today, this escalating tension between WhatsApp in, in India and Twitter in India. And then we covered uh, simultaneously Russia is telling YouTube they have to take down content that they find objectionable and instigating uh, destabling of their, you know, you know, kind of um, trouble rabble rousing content on YouTube that Russia is accusing YouTube of that they're forcing them to take down, uh, which is Google, by the way. And they're telling Google, you got to take down this content we don't like. Oh, and by the way, you have to reinstate this content that we do like. <laughs> YouTube took down some con Russian content that YouTube doesn't like and the U.S. government doesn't like because it's uh, related to sanctioned individuals in Russia. And Russia saying, no, 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 you have to put that content back that we do like and take down this other content that we don't like. Or else uh, we are now slowing down YouTube in Russia, just as they did to Twitter. And that's a really clever uh, 
halfway between, you know, the binary of blocking or not blocking is just slowing it down and making it uh, inconvenient, which is truly clever. But anyways, that's what's going on. But there's a, a whole new development in this crazy drama since we met seven hours ago, which is being reported by uh, the Washington Post, among many. Uh, and here it is from the Washington Post. Russia is the biggest player in disinformation. Oh, I'm sorry. I ruined the joke by giving the punchline. Here's here's the setup. One of the other big stories we were dabbling in, in the other time zone today was around a very suspicious uh, story about a PR firm that was reportedly from the UK had reached out to some YouTubers um, in France uh, asking them and and offering to pay them. And there was uh, one YouTuber specifically who was named, uh, I believe his name was Oliver. Anyway, he had a million um, uh, uh, YouTube followers and he and other YouTubers were being propositioned by some very shadowy PR agency out of the UK, apparently, that was offering money to say that, to spread very clear disinformation. And they wanted these YouTubers to say that Pfizer's vaccine is killing far more people than AstraZeneca's vaccine. Say what? (laughs) Let's say, huh? And... That's obviously an incredibly strange proposition, (laughs) right? Now, we did a little survey in the room because we were analyzing who on earth would would do such a crazy campaign to ask a bunch of YouTubers to spread misinformation about vaccines. Now, by the way, in that dynamic, and I got the names correct, the, the proposition was, please spread disinformation about Pfizer as being more de- their vaccine being much more deadly than uh, AstraZeneca. Well, on the face of it, AstraZeneca is behind this, obviously, <laughs> right? Because and clearly not Pfizer. Um, and because they're they're being told, hey, make make Pfizer look bad, make AstraZeneca look good. Simple as that. Okay. Well, there's a big problem here uh, at the face of it because AstraZeneca. Would as as a huge multinational company between Sweden and the UK, namely, uh, would never in a million years have anything to do with any PR firm that would ask YouTubers to spread misinformation about their competitor Pfizer. Never in a million years would that ever 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 happen. And if you think that that would happen, uh, I have some bridges to sell you. Uh, please DM me. <laughs> and but the. Here, let's look at the result of this campaign. The result of this action by this shadowy PR firm is that you've now got a lot of people talking all over the media about uh, YouTubers being paid to say untruths and spread fake news about vaccines. And so you have lots of stories now going around in multiple publications around the world saying, oh, there's YouTubers being paid to spread misinformation about vaccines. They're being paid to say that Pfizer is more deadly and the YouTubers and misinformation and fake news and vaccines and fake news and vaccines. And what this does is spread the, the sentiment that you can't trust data around vaccines. And who would benefit from that? Well, we did a little poll of the audience and it turns out four to one or more than that, more than four to one. Was it, Cal? 
what were the, what were the numbers? Almost five to one. Um, said that they think, yeah, it's probably a state actor who's behind this. Now that leads me to the what I want to share, which is the new headline from the Washington Post that just came out, which is Russia is the biggest player in disinformation, according to Facebook. Facebook report released today says that Russia is still the largest producer of disinformation, a notable finding just five years after Russia operatives launched a far-reaching campaign to infiltrate social media during the 2016 presidential election campaign. Facebook says it has uncovered disinformation campaigns in more than 50 countries since 2017, so in the last four years. When it began the cat and mouse game of cracking down on political actors seeking to manipulate public debate on its platform, the report, which summarizes 150 disinformation operations the company says it disrupted in that period, highlights how such coordinated efforts have become more sophisticated and costly to run in recent years, even as these operators struggle to influence large numbers of people as they once did. Meanwhile, more players have learned from the Russian example and have started disinformation operations in their own countries, Facebook says. That includes networks of shadowy public relation firms that sometimes do work for both sides within the country, as well as politicians, fringe political groups, and governments themselves, said Nathaniel Gleitcher, Facebook's head of security policy. Uh, and here's his quote. It started out as an elite sport, but now we see more and more people getting into the game, said Nathaniel Gleitcher, Facebook's head of security policy, who added that such efforts increasingly resemble influence operations that were conducted before social media, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm going to tweet out this article from The Washington Post so you can read it from yourself from the Tech News Around the World Twitter account about Russia being the main source of these fake news campaigns and shadowy PR firms. So Tyler, the, the audience in the morning was on Twitter, seven to one, by the way, the ratio, which is ah. kind of, you know, yeah. Yeah. So the, yeah, the, the audience was on it, but uh, I don't know if it's a different audience now, but I think there are more evidence now. So it'll probably be just a seven to one, probably be even more. This is sort of well documented though, that they've, uh, Russia has been doing different information about vaccines for, a number of reasons. One is, of course, they just want to sow disinformation because it destabilizes Western countries, and they were they've been very successful at that. Number one, but number two, they have their own vaccine that's not as good, and therefore having disinformation ah. about uh, others uh, helps them. And this is like not like this is a story, an old story. I mean, so uh, Tyler, I mean, this, this missing... particular version is new. I'm going to get you're off. missing the you're missing the biggest elephant here, Tyler. So if you look at the uh, uh, the financial markets on November. The day that Pfizer released the news that their efficacy rate was uh, 80% or 70, 80, 90% plus, look at that date. And from that date, look where the stock market is. It's rallied 40%. The Wall Street, it was tanking uh, on that. I remember trading it. I remember looking at that chart when that uh, Pfizer came. That's the day that the whole entire market uh, completely snapped. And that's where we ended up because that's the, uh, as you guys, I don't know if you remember, uh, you know, everyone was looking for hope, you know, what's going to happen to stop this COVID, uh, you know, spreading and how are we going to get out of this mess? And when the Pfizer headline hit, that's the day I remember the market just put the bottom uh, on the, you know, on that route that we saw compared to the previous route when we heard the Wuhan news. The second route was when that got stopped is when, we, when the Pfizer news got released. And since then, you know, I remember cable, Pound again, dollar was a 127, now it's a 142. I remember uh, Wall Street was a 26,000, now it's at what, 34,000, almost a, a 20, 30, 40% rally since that day. So I think there's a lot of, you know, so Russia, it's not just a very simple play here. They, you know, uh, they pay these things because these news are very, very important. Yeah, um, well, 
You're right, uh, Dan. It isn't a su- much of a surprise. It, it is a bit of old news, but it's uh, it is interesting that in the Wall- Washington Post that the head of Facebook is very clearly saying Russia is the worst of these uh, bad bad actors in spreading intentionally divisive misinformation, uh, particularly around vaccines. As you said, you're bringing up the, a really interesting point around their own vaccine. Um, it's um, it's a wild game using weaponizing the media essentially to um, balkanize a nation on all kinds of issues, particularly around vaccines, which is incredibly troubling. Um, it's um, and of course, and of course, Trump, <laughs> the biggest one of all, destabilizing yeah. the world. It's it's truly uh, interesting times that we live in, and it requires that people uh, have much better um, critical thinking when it comes to media and the, and the media they consume. And as evidenced by this story today, because a lot of people are um, those, those YouTubers who were approached by that shadowy UK PR firm naturally fell right into the trap uh, of, you know, telling everybody reaching out directly to the media with screenshots saying, Hey, um, I'm being offered money to, you know, uh, spread misinformation about vaccines. And then that becomes the big story that the YouTubers spread information, you know, that YouTubers are, uh, by extension, likely taking money from while this one person blew the whistle. We are left to assume that a bunch of other people took the money. And now that calls all the data around vaccines to be suspect. And it just wreaks havoc in the Anyway, well, put, hey, put vaccines hey, Tyler, aside. I... Yes, John. They also do this on climate change. Yeah, because they yep, don't yep. want you know they get all their money from natural gas and oil and stuff like that. So they want they don't want any action on climate. So they've been doing that for a long time too. Consequences far far more serious than the vaccine disinformation. There it is, folks. Mulder. Yeah. Hey, hey, Tyler. Yes, uh, John. If I, if I could chime in, of course you can. Um, so I, I, I think history reveals that uh, media from the very beginning of time have been exploited for uh, people to protect their power and weaponized in various forms. And what's happening with social media is that it's allowed fewer individuals to have a much broader reach. So the distinction between uh, freedom of speech and freedom of reach becomes really important. And what Section 230 unintentionally does this is one of the biggest examples of the law of unintended consequences is if if any of the the platforms takes an aggressive position in uh, editorializing and filtering that uh, apparently and there's a great article in this wired apparently opens them up to grievance lawsuits from anybody and everybody who feels that they were in any way um, uh, filtered in their uh, post on social media. So it's, it, it was intended uh, to protect free speech, but when it, it, it protected free reach, it has caused these unintended problems of if you filter anything, you're responsible for filtering everything. This is John, I'm done speaking. Yep. There is always uh, more aspects and angles that have broader and deeper implications than, than is on the surface at times. And that's a, a very valid point. Um, so we touched on the WhatsApp issue in India uh, very quickly and, and Russia with YouTube and the back and forth of these countries and blah, 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 blah. Um, other news that I'm willing, I'll start off with. We talked about 
oh, it was like four or five days ago where Amazon was rumored to be acquiring MGM Studios. And the news has now broke that Amazon uh, has confirmed it will acquire MGM Studios for the, the grand total of $8.45 billion. Uh, it's second largest acquisition since it paid $13.7 billion for a Whole Foods in 2017. And it's being widely covered. And it uh, does speak to the point that the platforms like Amazon, like Apple, uh, all the streaming platforms who now collect the money from the end consumers. So your your dollars go directly to these uh, subscription platforms and they're going right over the heads of these studios like MGM Studios, which, by the way, MGM Studios used to collect your money when you used to buy a ticket at the movie theater. And now they no longer do. Now that money goes to Netflix um, and then Netflix pays the money to MGM if they played an MGM film on Netflix. So now that the money is going to the platforms, the platforms are now calling the shots and now acquiring the studios. And the studios are no longer calling the shots in Hollywood. Uh, Amazon, uh, as reflected by this headline. Um, it's, it's a whole new world. And it's, it's really interesting that Amazon finds itself and Apple and the other platforms like Netflix. Netflix now has to go to all these film festivals meet all of the aspiring producers and actors and, you know, figure out which content films and TV shows they want to green light, as we call it in the biz. Michael, you can speak a bit about this. Um, and But notably missing from these names that have these big streaming platforms. And by the way, Spotify is a huge streaming platform for audio. And it's always been rumored that they could turn on video as well and become one of the big video streaming platforms quite easily. They already have the subscribers, right? And by the way, they did happen to hire a friend of mine named Shiva, who was the head of YouTube, to join over at Spotify. <laughs> and what did Shiva do at Spotify? And then he left to go work at WeWork when they were ra raising ridiculous money from Masayoshi-san at SoftBank. Uh, but he did spend a, a couple years with us in Stockholm at Spotify when coming straight from YouTube. I wonder what Shiva was working on. I'll let, I'll let you wonder about that. But um, yeah, the, the big players in the streaming... Amazon, uh, Apple One, Netflix, uh, and Disney is the other notably big player here. And then there was the huge announcement recently that uh, AT&T is selling off Discovery as kind of a bundle of Discovery and Warner Media. And there's a lot of uh, a whole lot of TV shows and films as part of that. And, well, you know that they yeah. were saying Tyler that. Uh... Well, you remember back in like 2015 when Apple was actually considering purchasing Warner yep. Warner Media, and now that that merger's gone through, um, there's starting to be rumblings that this could potentially. I mean, Apple at this point and with the how much this thing is worth, that now Apple's really the only player out there who could even actually buy it. And there's rumblings that uh, that that might be the thing that they that they're uh, thinking about doing just to to kind of fill out their content. Yep. Tyler, also yeah. to your point of Spotify and the video, I absolutely think they will do it. And the reason being is a couple years ago, we did it serious and we started out with Howard Stern video clips and that's how we sort of broke into it. But what I will tell you is, though, is we are sort of having, I don't want to say a war, but we moved into more podcasting. So I don't know if that's a sign that we're going to kind of stay away from that or if we will go full speed ahead in that. So I think it was interesting you mentioned that because 
because like I said, it's serious. We did start to dabble on that. It's been about two years ago now. Um, So so more to come on that, definitely. And and not surprising that uh, Spotify acquired Joe Rogan from YouTube and they're showing Joe Rogan's podcast on Spotify in video. Well, now, isn't that interesting? Hmm. Hey, Tyler. Yes. Uh, sorry, so Welcome I back. do the industry of streaming very well because my last startup was a streaming platform to begin with. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, to give you a context, uh, the all these movements that are making up here uh, by acquisition of major film, in, I mean, production houses is the move that was, uh, I think, incinerated start to begin with with Disney because as Netflix used to pay a huge amount of uh, content fees to Disney, Disney realized that they could make a lot of money from their own by, you know, just opening up the streaming platform and making the tech, uh, bringing the tech around it because they already own the content. So it was easier for them to start a streaming platform. So now that that happened, since that happened, a lot of content from like, especially Marvel contents, which was one of the most viewed uh, on Amazon as well as uh, Netflix. When they moved to a specific streaming platform to Disney, they saw that they lost a lot of money there. And I think that's the integration of entire, all these, uh, uh, I mean, tech pl- streaming platforms to start acquisition of more and more, production houses because they do have the money and in the longer term of them yes they can fill up the because ODT platform these days have become a library like more than like it has become properly like a library library such and for them to get content at a cheaper price and keep more users as well as I mean reduction of cost has to be done from some care I think the move that makes sense for them is to acquire more and more uh, production houses because they can reduce the licensing fee for such and still charge the audiences the same price and make more money so I think it's a very good gameplay from their end and they they do have the money because of the kind of money that they're making through entertainment sectors itself. And I think to your point, so we rebranded ourselves as S- SXM. I can't even ever say it. Media, I wonder how Spotify is going to transition as well because now we're known as a media company, to your mm. point, and we're not known as just audio anymore. So I think we're all going to start blurring lines together within these companies, and, and it's going to be very interesting how this well, pans it, out. It gets even more interesting because the video companies like YouTube, for example, is now getting into social commerce as that we as Google announced and as we watched together live in in you know it was like a holy shit moment we all watched it together in this room uh during the Google IO event which was live streamed um just a few days ago on May 18th and they showed a YouTube uh that you've never seen before where now the shoes that the person in the YouTube video is wearing are now clickable and purchasable right there in YouTube holy shit and it was made possible by a partnership with Spotify, Shopify. Wow. And you've got Facebook's live stream coming up on June 2nd now, about six days from now. And we are going to have a live room for that. And then you've got Apple's big annual flagship event coming up on June 7th. And you better believe we're going to have a live stream companion room set up for that. Oh, yeah. And here's what's interesting is the video companies are becoming e-commerce companies because all of that juicy video content has lots of clickable products in those videos. Imagine all those billions of YouTube videos and all the products in those videos that are now clickable to for purchase. And imagine all of the people reviewing. Uh, you, there's no product that becomes available on Amazon that doesn't get reviewed on YouTube as a really intensive YouTube unboxing video. And so why not buy it right from the YouTube video? And then Facebook even showed data recently that they Facebook's claiming 
that some 80% of people, when they see something they, they want to buy online, they go to Facebook and Instagram to do more research about it, to watch the videos of the unboxings and the reviews. And yeah, well, why not make the items purchasable right in the middle of the review video? Uh, and let the con the the reviewer of that and the person doing the unboxing video monetize it and etc. And that's that's what's coming with um, the the boom of social commerce and, and the creator economy. But it gets more interesting because Spotify, uh, we've been saying, also is going to participate in the creator economy because they have a lot of music creatives, right? Millions and millions and millions of them, tens of millions of them, and they can now start monetizing their uh their musicianship as a music creator on spotify what do i mean by that well they just purchased one of the uh clubhouse clones and you can imagine that there will be clubhouse like rooms all throughout spotify for every artist so that the fans of those artists imagine what the the taylor swift room is going to be like in spotify or imagine what the bts room the biggest artist in the world uh out of south korea um, or, you know, Blackpink or these huge, you know, artists now, all the top hundred artists are all going to have these rooms with millions of fans in them. And what happens when those artists go into those rooms and do, and do uh, audio performances? Well, they could do what Twitter just announced Twitter is going to do is they're going to have ticketed rooms because Twitter also has rooms like Clubhouse and they Twitter just announced they're called Twitter Spaces. And that, by the way, that's another reason to follow the Tech News Around the World Twitter account, because on the weekends, we do open a Twitter space under the Tech News Around the World Twitter account. And you can see it uh, firsthand if you've never been in one. Uh, they're quite buggy in, in summary, but uh, hopefully they'll get those bugs worked out. But the, my point hey, is... Hey, Tyler, is, I wanted to say something about what you're talking about, if you don't mind. Yeah, hold on one sec, Lisa, and I'll, I'll hand the mic to you. Yeah. Which is uh, Twitter, interestingly, just announced a few days ago that their Twitter spaces are now going to have what they call ticketed Twitter spaces so that the content creators of those spaces can charge their fans to enter those rooms. And you better believe Taylor Swift is going to be cashing in big time when she creates rooms for her fans. The question is, which artists are going to be first and how much are they going to charge for the rooms? Yes, go ahead, uh, Lisa. Monetization and decentralization. Um, it's going to be very tough to operate in a lot of spaces as entrepreneurs um, because every every decentralized platform will then become centralized when it comes to building your brand, right? So if I'm only known on t Twitter or if I'm only known on Instagram, that's my bread and butter. That becomes a centralized platform for me. So me as an entrepreneur, if I wanted to diversify my monetization, I now had to have like 50 million different handles between, okay, Clubhouse and people go, what's her following on Clubhouse? Um, if that's the centralized platform that they use. And then the same thing for Twitter, then the same thing for Instagram, the same thing for that new app. Uh, fan base and a lot of people they're trying to they have these open architectures where they can add different elements via the internet of things but it's like now you have what 20 different platforms that it's very hard to hone in on the specialization of what it actually does in the core essence so there is a such thing to me as having an open architecture that's too open because then your vision and your mission becomes lost in just trying to keep up with the trend so i'm i'm 
I'm trying to figure out who's going to be the bold one to stick to their core core values and their core mission and vision and really um, fine tune their objectives to look at something that could be projected as this is our brand identity and we choose to be like Coca-Cola and stay within that mechanism as opposed to just splatter everything all over the place and you do this and monetize this and monetize Clubhouse and Stripe and this and that. I mean, as an entrepreneur, you're going to go batshit crazy. Yeah. That's Lisa's my time. Yeah, <laughs> I just want to say, Lisa, that's brilliant. Um, thank you for that insight. That is brilliant. Yeah. Uh, hey, I just wanted to chip in one thing. Uh, regarding Tyler, regarding the uh, question that you post, the idea that you post, uh, how video streaming platform these days can go into social commerce and uh, what, what the entire philosophy within that printing so uh when we were building our platform to work with we i mean this is especially especially very india focused but i i think it still applies to the entire globe and especially south asia as well as uh us uh so understand this like whenever you watch a movie if let's assume your favorite character or favorite uh st- the protagonist of a movie wears a certain kind of a jacket certain kind of a shoe certain kind of thing that you want to buy if those can be portrayed as a social commerce where you could just buy that product directly from the video check it out the link for, like if you're watching a movie on netflix and you like a jacket that the hero is wearing or the main actor is wearing or the actress is wearing you could just directly go and get an options that side where you can just go and buy that i think is a huge huge space to enter because that is there where they could capitalize on the entire celebrity and how the movie endorsements work in with partnership with like product like companies clothes companies and selling their product based on the uh, movies and everything else so i think that's a good insight that's a good space to be in also it also helps the movie creators uh you know endorse that product as well as make more money of the revenue from these platforms so i think those way make a lot of sense and regarding that news i just wanted to contribute news but let me know when that's a good time yeah well, right but as an, as just... an omnipreneur like for instance i'm an astronaut candidate my whole thing is advocating space in the arts you know, and people outside of NASA can actually go to space. So me advocating that and having to be on like very integral spaces such as Clubhouse and this and that and this, and then, okay, VCs over here, promote my brand over here, go over here and do this. Like I'm literally occupying as a omnipreneur and there's probably a lot of people in this Clubhouse space that can attest to what I'm saying. Yes, on a platform base and on a company tech base, it the opportunities seem endless, but then you also have to recruit these omnipreneurs that have to literally single-handedly pick between what's what's my trade space um, and doing what I'm doing and putting it, learning a platform like Twitter, then learning a platform like Clubhouse, and then having to learn another platform such as this, and then catering my business model yeah. to adjust to all three or 10 or 15 platforms. Yep. So, so to your point, Lisa, just quickly, we've already seen with social media that kind of problem, people trying to manage all the different accounts. And that's why you have things like Soho Social and uh, Buffer and all of those things where it's a centralized place. So one of the real winners in this is if these APIs open, the first person to come along with a centralized platform that lets you manage your social media driven um, sales in all the different applications, you know, in, in one centralized place, uh, that's going to be a winner. Yeah, yeah. And that's kind of what happened in the early days when Twitter and Facebook and Instagram started when you had brands that needed to reach all of those platforms simultaneously. There wasn't money involved. It was just followers and clicks and likes and hearts. Um, Hootsuite came to mind. There was a, quite a few of them. Radiant oh, yeah. 6 was a big one. 
and uh, and have friends who worked at those. I like invited Marcus, who was the CMO at Rating Six. Anyway, but you're right. Is they're going to have to now add in the financial layer to all of those services as well, um, which is going to be a little bit tricky. Um, but I believe that it will happen because you're right. And, and by the way, the individual low-key unsigned artist uh, and you know amateur content creator might get burned unless they've got a lot of spare time or some some you know friends in very low cost places in Romania that they, they can pay you know very low salaries to to help them keep up and and reposting on all of these platforms in a more manual way although these these tools are getting cheaper uh, however the the ones that will benefit are the teams that can benefit from these tools can be kind of expensive like Radian 6 was not cheap for if you want the enterprise class license it's like $150 a month but if you're selling if you've got products to sell on all these platforms you'll make that money back very quickly but if you're you know starting out it's not worth investing the 150 cuz you don't have a lot of products to sell and so you get this gap between you know the beginners and then the you know the companies with uh, more resources it'll be interesting to watch who who really monetizes youtube and and by the way all of these platforms are going to be competing with each other youtube is going to be competing with instagram for influencers and by the way it's already happening youtube just created a hundred million dollar fund to entice tick the top tiktokers to leave tiktok to start creating their content on youtube well why would they do that because youtube knows that they those influencers on tiktok are going to be worth 10 times what they pay for them because they're going to start monetizing them it's not it's not worth paying you uh, tiktokers you know five hundred thousand dollars a piece to leave tiktok unless they're going to start making real money and they are because social commerce is coming and youtube knows that but the and tiktok is going to be a turn into social shopping real live stream social shopping is coming to tiktok it's coming to instagram it's coming to and instagram by the way just uh, boosted up their uh, features and functions within instagram uh, on the live streaming front uh, they've yet to announce the payment side but you bet i will bet any amount, I will bet the entire room all together, please let's bet everything you own and everything I own that Instagram's going to announce uh, the ability for their creatives to sell things <laughs> on, on their platform within the, next, within the next month, by the way. Yeah, uh, Tyler, go ahead. Go ahead on me. Yeah, but my, I, I, just, I just wanted to know there's going to be really strong competition between these social media platforms to attract the talent, knowing that the oh, talent has limited capabilities and, and limited resources and time to they're going to have to choose which platforms they go on to or use plat these expensive platforms like Radiant 6 that semi-automated. Go ahead. We'll go. Shopify could really I, I, cash in I wanted to share yeah. one quick piece of news that I just literally got into my mailbox uh -huh. and it's super crazy, yeah. but I'm going to make it really quick. Okay. Um, Apple might be getting into the crypto space because they're, they just posted Get the fuck job. out of here. Get the... Yes, yes, I'll send it to you. No, I'll send it to you. It's... It it's wow. literally Apple just posted a job <laughs> for five years experience, a business development professional that has an understanding of digital current, digital payments, digital current currencies with B, BPN bank or something like that. It's, it's in decrypt. I'll post it and tag you, but it's really, that is a great they're, they're looking at it for payments. Guys, this is a billions of dollars and they're just posting for a specific uh, job role. I mean, I mean, how does that 
you know, they can literally buy an entire country to build a payment system. <laughs> well, it could be Apple Coins well, or something like I that. I could yeah? read a couple of lines from yeah. it. One second. Apple Coins. It's, it's the... They want to do blockchain-based payments, or they're going to do something with the blockchain. I don't doubt that. This is what the, this is what it says. Apple's, Apple is seeking a business development manager with five-plus years' experience working in or with alternative payment providers, such as digital wallets, BNPL, fast payments, cryptocurrency, according to a job listing posted to a website yesterday. Let's call them right this now. Person is there a phone number on that the posting? company's wallets, payments and commerce team and would lead partnerships in the alternative payment providers. Tyler, you should call Warren Buffett and ask him this is, how, how he's thinking sorry. about this now. Tyler, yeah. Wait, this, might also, this might also be related to NFTs because people want to create and buy invest in NFTs. It might not be necessarily related to currency. So, hmm. Hmm. Yeah, but the value Max. of the NFT and keeping the value well, of keeping your equity in right. your brand that's something totally different than to just, hey, crypto, um, buy it in this coin instead of this coin, and we're going to use this stable coin, and what's, consi- what's considered stable versus not. Okay, let's look at all the ones that have less renewable energy use to be able to create the coin. <clears throat> like, it's a whole thing. I have a bit, an, a, another theory. Uh, which I, I, ca- which I cannot wait to hear, because, ladies and gentlemen... Social tokens. Mm. So, social tokens. Social tokens are rewards that you give your community. And Apple has very loyal communities. And I, I believe that they might be creating social tokens for the Apple community in, to k- just keep them on there. Mm. Can, can I, can I um, foster a, uh, yep. a thought here? Yes. So I, I, why don't we put it in that everybody's right? Uh, I think that, you know, Apple has already a blockchain group and has been quite active. Um, and there are a number of people in that group that I know that are uh, pretty good at, at crypto um, and have been involved in companies that have had crypto. So my guess is that Apple is interested in a series of things. They're interested in, you know, look at all the credit cards that have uh, um, some kind of a stable coin or some kind of Bitcoin, whether it's PayPal, Visa, MasterCard, et cetera. So what, what, what are they going to do in that area and how is it going to be organized? They've already seen uh, Facebook fall flat on its face with its uh, uh, stable coin. So I doubt very much they're going down and Apple coin going to have a, a stable coin um, of, of their own and would probably deal with the U.S. Uh, dollar when it's going to come out stablecoin as well as others that exist. But they'll have to figure out, are they going to have an Apple wallet? What wallet are they going to use or what will they what will they you know think of for their payment system in concert with and in conjunction with the, the PayPal's and everything uh, of this world? Uh, they probably may be thinking about a social token down the line and what does that look like and what does it do and where does it go? I think there will be more regulation around NFTs and the selling of NFTs. So if they're going to get in that, quote, marketplace, they're going to have to think about how does that work? Uh, for them and what are their liabilities for all of that. So my guess is, is that whatever crypto person they get will be thinking about how do they interact on a global and on a state-by-state basis? What are the regs they may or may not need to do? And Apple's already gone down that line on regs and taxes and everything when in just normal, normal course of business. So they'll just apply the same kind of things if they go into an NFT marketplace. But my guess is 
they're exploring all of these different avenues and seeing where it works and for them as well as for their customers with the customers both as the people that sell and the people that buy i've got an idea i just got an idea uh and uh i have to credit dr francine hardaway and uh and donna for this idea apple has huge data centers including one in sweden uh but all over the world and those data centers are not used to full capacity and they've got billions of devices around the planet. As a matter of fact, I'm using one right now, which is a MacBook Pro and an iPhone. And they've got all these devices and you've got devices and you're not using your devices 24 hours a day. And when you're not using your devices, they could make a network that mine crypto. And you get... Yeah, Pi already does that. When I downloaded <laughs> it in my phone, I could see like the volume of uh, network usage and it's very, very high to where I would have a or somebody detect like hey your usage is high is this really you or is this a bot trying to access the google site it happened as soon as i downloaded pi tyler hey, hey, can, can i ask donna a quick question oops sorry going yes sorry this is john can i ask donna a quick question yeah, so when the uk and the us and other nation states issue their their stable coins uh pegged to their deny their current currency um is it do you believe it's likely that um, other coins like Bitcoin may be relegated to uh, uh, trafficking in illicit um, trade predominantly? Or do you think that there's room for both central bank stable coins and Bitcoin for legitimate commerce? Well, so I would frame your question differently, but I'll answer it the way you asked it. So I think that Bitcoin and, and central bank digital currencies are going to live side by side. And I, com I completely reject the idea that Bitcoin is used in any way primarily for or will be used primarily for any illicit trade. It is more trackable than cash um, and other kinds of things used in illicit activity, including paintings. I think what will what will suffer, what will suffer a lot under um, under a, uh, a central bank digital currency and will will be something like in my my opinion tether. I think stable coins uh, will be will be replaced on many exchanges or be uh, slowly phased out uh, because the USD uh, US dollar as a stable coin will be will be backed. Whereas we know as a fact that tether is not fully backed. So I would rather change from my my Bitcoin into the, um, the U.S. central bank digital currency while I'm waiting on the exchange for another trade that I might want to do if I'm a trader and and then go back into my Bitcoin or other people go into other things uh, as well. So I think that they will co they will cohabitate um, and slowly um, maybe some of the other cent the other uh, stable coins will be phased out or regulated uh, more seriously, as we've seen. Uh, both in um, in the EU and proposed in the U.S., but I'm not sure where the Stablecoin Act went, where there is a, a specific uh, look at stable coins for regulation um, as opposed to Bitcoin. So does that start to answer your question, John? It does. One quick follow-up. Um, what are the capital gains implications of going in and out of Bitcoin, and how do you see that playing out? In which country? You know, it, yeah, it's in which country, but if we, if we speak- In the U.S., if we speak specifically to the U.S. at the moment, going in and out of Bitcoin is no different than going in and out of Amazon stock. If you book a gain, you have a tax bent, you have a tax consequences. 
If you have a loss, you do the same thing what you would do with the stock. It's, it's considered as, as property um, for, for the taxation purposes, short and long-term capital gains. So, do you guys uh, know the you. back office of cryptocurrency and what's going down? Because if you have over a million, let's say, call it share of cryptos, um, they'll pay you interest to keep it per month. And you'll have your crypto into the exchange. And the more people borrow it to hold a placement in fiat money um, with your crypto, they don't actually own the crypto. They're just buying the value of the crypto and swapping it on the market. So they'll pay you to leverage your crypto and give you a percentage. And so they do that on the centralized platforms like Coinbase and all that other stuff. If you buy a lot of crypto, but at what, 5% APR or whatever like that. So it's very interesting because I actually invested in a, a, a cryptocurrency called G999. And when I was uh, purchasing it, I actually, before I guess it debuts next, I think it's like in July, um, they offered me that. And I had learned the whole back office of it and i was like oh my gosh i took a crypto class and everything read 300 a 300 page book on crypto and the blockchain and 784 bit the whole nine and i was also doing a network architecture you know the vpn api before it was even a thing to actually connect something end-to-end encryption on it and say hey this is non-forgeable here's the equity in this to get this it's gonna cost this the energy it would take to do this is this. Okay, what are we going to tie it to? Are we going to sell Lamborghinis on your blockchain? Because somebody could just come in and generate this and this and that and F your whole currency exchange up to where it, your whole crypto is devalued. Right. So these people like Amazon, um, Amazon Kendra with, with predictive analysis or IBM Watson, one of the, the two highest that I saw when I did my research as far as like predictive analysis and going into artificial intelligence uh, and, and Facebook might I add. So it, they could easily pay somebody on the black market, right? Hey, Lisa, you make a great point. Uh, let me By ask you, look, way, I did a PhD in engineering. Wait, 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 wait. Kieran, 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 Kieran. Whoa, Kieran. whoa. whoa. easy. Find a way. Easy, easy. Find- go, Kieran, go. Easy. Yeah, Kieran. Hold on, <laughs> hold on, hold the horses. Uh, hold on, hold on. Before okay, this happens, every time the word crypto comes up, you let it run for 15 minutes, and it just it becomes the snowball that wants to run the train off the tracks, over the mountain, over the cliff, into the Grand Canyon. So, uh, rather, we have. Why don't I suggest that Tell we? Have I, can, to I can bring it back to the rule, Tyler. I can bring it back to Apple. Sorry, can I just make a suggestion, yes. And, yes, and Tyler can do anything he wants afterwards. Ben and I, I believe it's today. We have a room at one thirty. Boom. Um, bring more and more, and more uh, of Good your idea. of your questions on. there. We can debate. We can we can punch it out yep. in any way, shape, or form. Right, Ben? That's right. Deep dive. Yep. yep. Right absolutely. Dive. Yeah, Donna and Ben are doing a deep let's, dive let's room. Let's not call all the puns. So it's in, wait, I just want to let people know. It starts uh, to bring it back to two. It starts an an hour and a half from now, or two and a half from now. Yeah, no, an hour and a half. An now. hour and a half from now, Ben and, and Donna uh, are doing a deep dive room on all things crypto, so you can guys can have that uh, full discussion, and and we can get back to the headlines. And I and Ame also does uh, just kind of what Talisa was mentioning, like these real. Uh, onboarding rooms and Ben does too, really helping people onboard into the, this fantastic world of crypto. 
Um, but I, I have to share somebody uh, on stage, uh, Root V's, just found the missing link. It's this fantastic article. Here it is. And I said I, I was willing to bet anything that this would happen in a month, and it just happened in 10 minutes. Here it is. Instagram launches <laughs> a new section for shopping products on Instagram. Instagram today announced it's adding a new feature to help connect online shoppers to, to product drops through its app. They call it Drops, where uh, which are new e-commerce trends, help sellers create buzz for forthcoming products in the days and weeks leading up to their availability. The products themselves are often only available in limited supplies or for a short period of time, in increasing the demand because they're of limited supply. On Instagram, Drops will now have their own destination inside the app at the top of the shop tab where consumers can discover, browse, and shop all the latest product launches as well as view upcoming launches. Shoppers can also sign up to receive reminders about products they're interested in from here and look through products and collections from other drops that recently took place on Instagram. I'm going to tweet this out from the Tech News Around the World Twitter account. And I, all I can say is, I told you so. It's going to... This is the news I was talking about that I wanted to break down. Yeah. Each, Tyler, each time you can use that phrase, I told you so, you get four extra life and one power-up mushroom. There you go. <laughs> uh, can I sell those? As, if I can sell those as NFTs, then we'll be in, into something. Yeah. Go ahead. Tyler, yeah, Thanks, I just wanted to mention, because I know you're going to hate me for doing this, but Instagram shopping has been around for a while. I think that they're just um, optimizing it with the drops. It sounds yes. more like a feature optimization. Well, what yeah. they're, they're allowing, uh, they're paving the way continuously developing the inevitable way for the content creators to monetize their channels and their influence and their reach. And rather than uh, fight all day and do selfies all day to get the likes and the followers and the clicks and the hearts, they're now going to be getting dollars and Bitcoin and Dogecoin and whatever else uh, they hire for uh, Apple as well. To I mean, it's a very interesting article that is... Um, about, Tyler, I just yeah. wanted to add to that as yeah. well. Um, I think that's really significant because there's one of the things when you're uh, selling on e-commerce is the launch, managing a launch. This tells me that they're going to be looking at how successful launches are yep. so that the algorithm will then prioritize the launches that people are actually interested in based on either click-through rates, um, et cetera, buys, conversions, et cetera. So they're probably just optimizing something similar to what Amazon does. So that's quite interesting. And I think it does work in the favor of the content creators who have great communities that follow them so that, you know, the gaming of the sales is much less, if that makes sense. Yep. And the well, same as Nifty Gateway. Yeah. Well, they got to start paving, uh, uh, starting in baby steps of figuring out uh, and connecting the pipes in in baby step kind of ways because it's going to, the dam's going to break and uh, it's going to be wild days here as soon as, it, and like I said, Instagram is going to compete with YouTube and TikTok and Spotify and uh, every other, and Facebook. And by the way, here you want the next big prediction? This is a this is a no brainer though. Uh, the, I told you that the big Facebook annual event is coming up June second. I need to add it to the calendar because we're going to have a live stream that goes right along with it, and we're going to watch live. And at the second Mark Zuckerberg says, "Ladies and gentlemen, Apple took away all of our juicy data, but uh, we got something much bigger and better. It's called social shopping, and here it is." And the second he mentions that it's powered by Shopify and we all click the uh, buy Shopify stock button, <laughs> it'll be a big race. It'll be fun. But um, the uh, 
that that uh, I'm predicting it now. They're going to announce, you know, social shopping in a massive way at this event. And by the way, uh, Apple on WWDC is going to announce their XR, uh, VR, AR headset, you know, for augmented reality and whatnot. And that, by the way, circles back to why Facebook and Apple and Google aren't really playing in this whole Netflix um, content streaming platform race, you know, between Netflix and uh, Disney Plus and uh, who are the other big players on these subscription video services? Because they're focused on the, the the even bigger, broader future. Like Facebook isn't trying to sell you a monthly subscription to video content like Netflix is because they got something much cooler in store, which is this VR, AR, three-dimensional world we're all going to be living in. And they think it's so compelling that you're going to forget all about your goddamn Netflix subscription. So, um, yeah, that's what that's what that that's. Uh, I think that ties into the I think with that with them. Say again. I think that ties also into what people were saying with the token. I guess my pushback against that is that Apple, first of all, they don't they don't mess around with their brand, but they also they're a luxury brand. They don't do anything that's just for the kind of the common folk, whether it's their credit card or, you know, there's been talk about Apple car. If Apple car, if, if Apple re, re puts out a car, it's not going to be a normal car. It'll be something completely, ah, completely yeah. different. And then a completely integrated system. They like to control everything. So I think. Yeah, both for Apple, but for other brands, I think to social tokens are going to be very challenging because you lose control of the brand. Apple is going to be, ex I, th I think, extremely reluctant to do anything where they don't have complete control over their brand or it's not like, I mean, their whole Good brand point. is that we are a luxury item. And so I think that's an interesting kind of, uh, yeah, it's going to be really hard for, for a lot of these brands to, to luxury brands to get into uh, NFTs. Yeah, uh, good point. They, they've, yeah, also was, um, big, they've also made a big bet on privacy, Apple, too. And that's another challenge for, yeah. for crypto. So I was going to say the predictive analysis in the in the tech space is very critical because if you create a predictive analysis that's able to predict the next random key that your your random key generator is, it can crash the whole market and everyone who subscribes to your key generator to even invent the crypto or operate in those types of spaces to even do NFTs. And if I'm a big company and this other company is running up under me. It's nothing for me to get a hacker or somebody on the black market, use my predictive analysis tool and crash their whole thing and make my token dominant. Like, this is real. Yeah. Whoa, there are some bold claims there, Lisa. Let's have a chat. Lisa, I'm just saying, I made the Let's chat in the side room because there's a lot of claims Yeah, Jesse and Lisa, please join us at the side room later. Yeah. You guys need to push through that in the side room. Yeah, the side room is coming up in an hour and a half. Before you do, Katerina, I see Katerina, I'll hand you the mic in a second. Uh, while we're on the topic of VR and Apple, I got to point out that Michael on stage is doing, uh, due to popular demand, a, a VR AR room uh, two hours from now, uh, which you can find that by clicking on the title of this room, where you'll see the Tech News Club, where you you can swipe through and you'll see Ben and Donna's room about... Um, crypto stuff uh, in an hour and a half. And then two hours from now, you see Michael's room. I probably Victoria is part of that as well. And there's, I keep swiping. There's all kinds of room. And tomorrow you'll see the Africa room. 
um, with Mabwana and myself and uh, Wizza and uh, Liz and Florian. Welcome back. And we're going to have a, a fantastic matchmaking tomorrow here at Tech News Around the World with the African investors and startups. And there's all kinds. There's now an ed tech room. There's uh, med tech. And, it, you know, please, please do check out the, the tech news room and do follow the tech news so you get updated and all that stuff. And I want to make sure we get into headlines because we only have an hour and a hour and a half left before we break off into the first side room. So does anyone on stage have a headline they want to share from their part of the world geographically or professionally? And if you're in the audience and you have a headline from your part of the world you want to share, raise your hand and we'll try and get you up here uh, to share your headline because that's what we do here. So anyone want to jump in? Yeah. Yeah, go ahead, Michael. Michael and then Tina. Oh, I'm sorry. Wait, wait. I silenced somebody on the stage. Who was that? Uh, Katerina and then Michael. And then Tina. Go ahead, Katerina. Yeah, I just wanted to add that by generating their own crypto, if you make an alternative uh, virtual world, you keep um, your people like in your system. So because you want to buy virtual, uh, all kinds of virtual things. Um, because in the end, um, everything that has mass will the, the the value will decrease in the future and digital things any kind of digital information will increase in the future in value so i think apple won't stay with just producing um toys that um are you know everything is basically you know phones everything you, they will create virtual toys basically so um to keep you in their virtual world, the best thing to do is put out a crypto that you can only use in their system. And, you know, this is just, um, you yep. know, what Apple's already doing in the real world. Just And, and yes. you know, if they recognize right now that they're an information yep. collection um, company and they are not a physical real company in the future, uh, it will just um, make them um, more competitive for the yep. Thanks, Katarina. And then who was next? Uh, Michael, go ahead. Uh, yes, I'm thankful to be on the stage, grateful to the group. Um, always a pleasure to hear the different headlines. Um, just kind of sharing um, a little bit on both headlines and some of the space. We're talking about both crypto and mainly blockchain. Um, studied very heavily in the blockchain, working formerly for IBM, and just understanding that the blockchain is something that we have to understand in context to not just financial things, but also tracking and logistics yep. and helping us 100%. to know where you know, those things. Um, as a person personally, headline wise, um, I just wanted recently me and my family in this age of switching from crypto from financial featured in New York Times magazine this past Sunday in regards to what it is to be um, managing families in this time after COVID mm. and so forth. I encourage you all to check it out. It's called What We Spent. Um, you can find it online or you can pull the latest this past Sunday, um, big yellow cover of the New York Times um, just to get an insight interactive online as well. But just letting people know that as we're transitioning from our own personal financial budgets into these crypto spaces, we have to look at it from an investing standpoint, long term, not short term gains because of our unfortunate circumstances that yeah. money is lack for a lot. So people don't want to miss out. But um, a lot of our blockchain and what's coming is connected to what's coming down the road pipeline wise, which quantum is what people really should be talking about. 100%. Getting their heads around. 
Yep. Um, but I'm just throwing that out there. I don't yep. want to take too much. So please check out that article. I got it right here. I'm going to tweet it from awesome. our Twitter account. It says, what we spent in a month, six American families opened their doors and their wallets to show how much life cost. Is it that one? Yes, sir. And awesome. we are very, very fortunate. My family is one of the few African-American families featured, and we're just grateful to showcase the changes and what can happen with utilizing technology and how we can all grow. And we're going to continue to share in this space to help cool. people not only manage and grow financially. So please check it out. My organization Will is do. IamBrilliant.org yeah, to gather I, more. But thank you all for a moment. I love this uh, group so much. So thank thanks, you all for Thanks, Michael. I, I just tweeted it from the Tech News Around the World Twitter account at TNATW. And somebody just shared a humdinger of an article uh, to the Tech News Around the World Twitter account, and I'm retweeting it. Thank you, Melinda. Uh, here's the headline. Pinterest to test live streamed events this month with 21 creators. And this is all about the content creator economy coming this way fast and furious where mm-hmm. Pinterest wants in on this game, y'all. I told you every social network there is is going to start adding video and start adding e-commerce. Mm-hmm. If you've got an app with eyeballs, you're, here's what here's your future of your app. You're going to start adding video and you're going to start adding the ability for people in those videos to start selling shit to their fans in your app. That's just the future, <laughs> plain and simple. I don't care if you got a dog, a dog. Tinder's gonna people are gonna start selling shit on Tinder. It's coming. <laughs> a- anybody with people in their apps, those people are gonna start monetizing their followers in those apps. End of discussion. Because otherwise, the people in your app are gonna be leaving to TikTok or whoever's paying the most uh, to th- their Perhaps. content creators. Because it's it's no longer about chasing clicks and likes and followers. It's about chasing dollar dollar bills, y'all. And if TikTok is ma- if my friend is making a thousand dollars a day selling lipstick on TikTok, see you later, Instagram, because I'm going over to where my friend's making a thousand dollars a day. Tyler, we got to watch selling ourselves on Tinder. I think right. <laughs> Make it into a sketchy face. <laughs> And oh, I, I just got a picture on my eye, on my eyes with Tyler with lipstick. So thank you. <laughs> oh man! <laughs> yeah, just to add up, uh, remember how we were talking in the previous group about how people are very particular about their data, privacy, data, and everything else. Uh-huh. Uh, consumers are becoming so aware of this thing. I just I just came across an article right now. So Data C is a startup uh, which just acquired, which just got a fundraising of two point four million, where users and users can sell their data. Interesting. What's the source? And they get, they get the... a 85% revenue out of the selling, where a f- delicacy takes 15%. Data C takes 15% of the revenue. Okay. Oh, what's the source and what's the headline? TechCrunch. And I'll just, I'll, just re- I'll just tweet the article so you can okay. just look at it. And I'll, I'll retweet it. Uh, Katarina just found something that... Uh, this is getting weird, man. First, uh, Amay finds you know Apple going into crypto. And now Katarina finds an article... <laughs> That the that Tesla is going into yachts, Model Y Tesla yacht. What we know, and it says Tesla is all about innovation. With the massive changes they've made to the automotive space and space industries, Tesla hasn't really done that much in space. They're confusing it with SpaceX, I think. So already, I'm a little worried about the whoever wrote this article, but. Um, They could have missed out on ocean exploration. At the end of 2017, Tesla announced the yacht project Model Y. Did they? I must have missed that one. Um, Uh, Actually, my son found it because I always said I want the Cybertruck to have a feature that it can float in the water if a hurricane will come again here to New York City. (laughs) 
Yeah, the the, the people <laughs> because it's already bulletproof and everything. Yeah, and they are supposedly working on that too. That in it can that the Cybertruck is supposed to float in the water at some point. Yeah, the the source of this article sounds questionable. It's called yachtharbor.com. The, t- the title is Model Y Tesla Yacht, What We Know. And there's... Only, only the finest sources, right, yes. Tyler? And then, well, you, you, I'm going to tweet it with a big BS question mark. Tyler, I did, as... see, I did see a Twitter post. I did see a Twitter post last night um, sometime around like midnight where uh, it completely I, – I, I don't know if this is a joke or not, which, which is hilarious to me because I saw someone describe this exactly uh, in a Twitter post. I wish I, I, I could find it, but it's – I wasn't sure if it was related, but th- this isn't the first time I've actually heard of this. I've seen someone mention this this kind of uh, narrative that the, the meeting with the Bitcoin <laughs> miners was in fact – uh, just a way to get them yachts. <laughs> hmm. Hmm. And, and, um, and, and I saw a post where if you uh, responded with your personal information that Elon Musk would give you a Bitcoin on yeah. Twitter. <laughs> that was, yes, uh, the infamous, <laughs> yeah, we got to be. I remember that scam. Yep. So, um, although back to the, the social Facebook, Instagram, and, ch- ch- you know, about people are no longer chasing likes and followers and instead will be chasing dollars. An article from TechCrunch right now, the headline is Facebook and Instagram now give users options to hide the like counts across all posts and to hide their own public like counts from others. Facebook this week will begin publicly roll out, will begin publicly. Wow, that, the, 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 they did a typo. Facebook this week will begin publicly rolling out the option to hide likes on posts across both Facebook and Instagram following earlier tests in 2019. The amazing thing is all the publications that are covering this from TechCrunch, BBC, Economic Times, Wall Street Journal, Washington Post, CNET and Gadget, The Verge, Bloomberg, Good Morning America, uh, and the New York, yeah, New York Times. Why that that's says something, does it not? That every major publication um, in the Western mm. world is covering the fact that Facebook and Instagram is. Uh, Michelle, you have a thought on this one? Yeah. Um, so basically, I mean, I think it, it wasn't widely shared, but it's been a while that likes are now becoming what we call vanity metrics, including followers. But it, I think the perception of those numbers are still um, is still not accurate because it seems very important. But this particular change was done mainly because uh, those metrics have been affecting people's mental health, especially mm. the younger generation. So it's for people not to value their wealth on how many, how much likes they have so they can now hide it and it doesn't really matter anymore. If you post a picture that doesn't have any likes, that doesn't define whether or not that picture has some added value or not. So that's kind of where this is, uh, this is coming from. Interesting. Just a follow-up question on your prediction. So uh, I know for a fact that I mean I'm, I'm you, I may be wrong in the initial assumption for now. So I know for the fact that the Instagram Instagram uses the search like I mean the metrics of likes and comments as a understanding of how popular popular the post is, right? And then it goes to the explore page. That's how the algorithm works. I'm assuming. I'm, 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 if it's changed, I'm not sure sure about it but if they remove the entire agenda of likes and uh, followers and such how does the prediction algorithm work there i'm just curious about it the reality is that it's never been well 
not anymore since a couple of years, it's never been the number of, of followers or likes, but it's the percentage. So even if you have 50 followers and you have 3% of engagement rate, that's what's matter. Because we assume that if people engage with that content, it means it has some value to them, if, if that answers your question. Okay, thank you. So sorry, guys, I don't know if you, um, um, so um, um, if I missed it, probably you already spoke about this. Uh, so I got a message yesterday from one of the guys, you know, who uh, in Instagram, uh, who, people who sell likes and uh, um, uh, followers, right? So they say that apparently Instagram last few days introduced this thing that they're going to hide likes uh, from other people. So basically, which they did last year, one year ago, right? 12 months ago, they did that. And then, and then I think they brought it back about six months ago. Now, again, apparently they're going to uh, hide likes from um, Instagram post. Um, so, yeah, that's something that I found out yesterday. I think that's exactly. the article we were just talking about, yeah? It was, a, I don't know if anybody remembers, it was like um, several months ago where they said it was a bug. I'm curious if, if I don't know if Michelle could speak to it, but it seems like I initially thought that, that was like a test to see how the um, people would react or with that when Instagram likes for some people went away. Yeah, yeah that one bugs. that was initial. I mean, it was a test that was rolled out to a very limited number of users because we wanted to grasp the sentiment at a broader scale. And once we have it now, it's it's an option because the initial um, scenario was not to give the option and just hide it. But now, either they can show their likes or they can hide it. So that's um, there will be two two options. So uh, Cheryl just found a very interesting article about the big uh, tech giants in China, uh, namely JD, Meituan, and Neolix, are testing autonomous deliveries on Beijing's public roads. And now we're seeing, and by the way, the, the photos in this one are the clearest I've seen, and it now seems very legit. We've seen this a few times before. I'm tweeting this out from the Twitter account. You can see it with your own eyes. This truly looks like the future in a very big way. Um, it shows these very new style of vehicles. It looks like a very small car with no driver. It's a, it's a driving robot. It's like a big robot with wheels. Um, it looks like, yeah, they're these micro cars, like smart cars with no drivers. And this article reads that people in Beijing suburb will begin to see autonomous delivery minivans across their neighborhood moving cautiously alongside human delivery riders. Um, Beijing has green-lighted this, uh, that JD, Meituan, and Neolix, which are three big tech companies, to trial self-driving delivery vehicles on designated public roads in the Yizhuang Development Area, an economic and technological growth pilot initiated by the municipal government of the capital city, according to the announcement made by local authorities at mobile conference on Tuesday, which was yesterday. Uh, Yizhuang has aggressively rolled out 5G, 5G coverage in part to prepare the infrastructure for autonomous driving ventures. All three companies are using dainty box-on-wheels vehicles similar to those um, the uh, three-year-old Neolix backed by Chinese electric vehicle startup Li Auto focused on making self-driving vehicles for retail. You really have to see these vehicles. These are definitely real. There's too many photos of these now on Beijing's roads. They're clearly not Photoshopped. And they're selling things. Uh, these autonomous vehicles are basically, we've seen some where it's actually a KFC, Kentucky Fried Chicken, that is uh, put into a little vehicle 
And it's, you know how we have food trucks in America where it's like a little kitchen and a truck and those trucks drive around Los Angeles and wherever else and they pull up and people, you know, there's humans inside the truck who cook the food for you and you buy from food from food trucks, right? Everyone's familiar with that. Well, imagine that without the people and without the kitchen, but just the food ready to purchase. So it's KFC food packed into a little autonomous driving mini van. And you, the minivan drives around somehow. I, I guess it's being robotically controlled by somebody. I think it's more of a drone um, because the, I don't know how this vehicle would know exactly where to go. There's clearly cameras on the front of it and on the side of it and all around it. But take a look at these things because I can imagine these things will be coming to the U.S. before long as a form factor. Isn't Domino's, isn't Domino's doing a pilot version of this right I, now? Well, Tyler, we talked about that, right? So the Nuno... Uh, Nuno um, uh, have a launch, uh, I think it was a couple of months ago, we talked about in Texas, they had a Domino pizza uh, right. delivery, right? They, You're exactly yeah, right. That's what I was, that's what I was talking about. Yeah. yeah and the, then um, let me just speak. You're right. It was about a month ago. We had the, it, this nearly identical vehicle selling uh, and designed and branded as a Domino's pizza delivery vehicle. And people could walk up to this thing and the door opens on the side and bada boom, bada bing, here's your pizza. Uh, if you PTR my uh, picture, you'll see that uh, exactly this. Uh, let's see. Here. Amazon's actually been Amazon's been working on one too for quite a while. They uh, Amazon hired me probably I want to say about geez, it had to be nine months ago now, and I did some uh, concept art, created a couple of billboard ads for them. Um, they they're this exactly this these little drones that'll be. Uh, these little road drones that'll be delivering packages to people uh, in their neighborhoods, just like uh, the Domino's Pizza one. Yeah, and Cheryl just found another one from, from Japan uh, that I'm tweeting out as well uh, in two seconds. So these are clearly starting to go international. And then Japan already tested it January this year. Yeah, but you'll see the Japanese one. They're very, very similar. Um yeah, this is certainly a look at something to come, no doubt. Justin, you just sent an article here about Brussels to big tech. You want to share that? Yes, I would love to. I got to jump for a work call in five minutes so I don't get fired. But in the meantime, we have a pretty big headline. At least I think it's a big headline. Surprised that it hasn't been discussed yet. Brussels to big tech. Open up your algorithms or else. So essentially, the European Union Commission is expected to demand that Facebook, Google, and Twitter altered their algorithms and prove they have done so to stop the head, uh, the spread of online falsehoods, according to three people briefed. So this is really the first time and the most, if this comes to fruition, which we should find out shortly, these measures were marked the furthest any country or region has gone in forcing tech companies to disclose the inner workings of their algorithms used to populate social media feeds. So for everybody out there, the social dilemma kind of goes into this. And it's really why I have nothing but disdain for a company like Facebook, which I think is the most responsible for the breakdown of our information ecosystem here in the United States and uh, largely across the world in that they create algorithms which prioritize content that is um, essentially liked and shared the most uh, within certain shared information ecosystems. So essentially what happens is the content that is the most vitriolic and Facebook does a horrible job of moderating this content will get the most likes and it will be prioritized in their algorithm according to this social dilemma and the EU regulators. 
And this is really the first step at trying to force some transparency behind the, the wall right here with the regulator saying, hey, you got you to gotta at least cut this out when the information is disinformation or misinformation, which essentially is two different characterizations of false information. It's really important to understand this. Disinformation is false information that is spread on purpose with an agenda. So think of Russian troll farms. Misinformation instead is mis is is again, bad information that's not true, but it's shared by your grandmother because they think it's true or your friend because they think it's true. So uh, what these regulators are saying is, hey, Facebook, open up the wall, show us this algorithm, change this algorithm. And then again, show us that the algorithm has been changed to cut down on mis and disinformation. I think that this is a beautiful thing and, and that's kind of my takeaway from this. Yes, thank you, Justin. And what's your Twitter account, by the way? Oh, yes, I need to set up one. Okay. Uh, but my my Twitter account for me personally is Justin underscore Higgins. Okay. And by the way, everybody, please follow Justin, who hosts the best rooms in Clubhouse on all things political. And he has members of Congress joining him here in Clubhouse, which is we all owe, uh, we're all uh, in a debt of gratitude to Justin for building a bridge between Clubhouse and Washington, D.C., where he happens to be geographically and professionally. And that's a huge opportunity. And we need to support him with our feet in his room so that when he sends his invites to members of Congress, they show up and engage with the Clubhouse audience. It's critically important. Please do follow him. Please join his rooms. And please tweet out his rooms when you enter his rooms so that when the, the midterm elections are coming up, that the candidates will join us here in Clubhouse in Justin's room, which he is perfectly qualified. I can't think of anyone better to moderate those conversations, as evidenced by the fact that he, a week ago, hosted what many people are saying is the best room to ever happen in Clubhouse on the topic of Palestinians and Israelis. I'm still inspired by that room, by the way, a week after the Tyler, you're making this 30-year-old man blush. I don't know how you do it. No, but (laughs) But, um, it's legit. So, yeah. Uh, I just want to thank you. And then real quick, sorry to interrupt you, say that um, three hours before tech news around the world starts, my room is now doing political news around the world. And we'll touch a little bit on tech news. We'll leave that for Tyler. Um, But we'll run up until maybe an hour before tech news around the world starts. Hopefully there'll be uh, some type of lead in that we can then uh, collaborate on. But in addition to that, I just breaking news. Yep. I've been trying to get some more tech journalists on the show, Tyler. I was about uh, to break the news myself because you, sh- <laughs> D- D- Justin, just shared with me his upcoming um, rooms, and he's got uh, journalists from every major publication you can think of are going to be joining him in his rooms. Which, by the way, this is great, and because when you listen to the town hall meeting, the last one and the one before. Paul from Clubhouse himself is excited about, you know, these top tier journalists now coming into Clubhouse. Well, guess which room they're going into? Justin's room. So, again, follow Justin and get in his rooms and support them because it's the future of Clubhouse uh, and nothing short of that. I got to run to this call, Tyler. Thank you for the plug. But we also got a commitment from David Sanger. Mm. Um, who is one of the biggest journalists in cybersecurity at the New York Times. Yep. Um, so I got to run. I'll oh. be back to listen to this fantastic show. Love yep. your audience. Thanks. Second smartest on Clubhouse to mine. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll beat you next time. So um, to Jonathan, you just shared a good article about Tencent. You want to share it? Um, yeah, it's just mainly that Tencent is coming under political pressure to separate its financial activities into a holding company that 
can be overseen by the state in the same way that um, Alibaba. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's so a, that, a yeah that the 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 trend is continuing amongst the biggest of the biggest Chinese tech giants, where they are being forced to uh, reshape themselves by the whims of the state. Uh, I, I have to imagine against their own will. Um, and the state is just continues to exert its control and force the companies just to fundamentally re- uh, restructure themselves, even financially, and creating holding companies that remove their own power over their own um, companies, uh, essentially, financially. It's wild. It's true. I mean, you could never do that in America in a million years. Uh, but uh, it's just amazing to see how much power the state has there over the these tech giants. Um yeah, so I'm, Tyler. Uh, yes. Oh, I just wanted to say one on the next topic. Uh-huh. Um, I had a headline. I okay. Wanted to up it. Yeah. So I just retweeted it on Tech News. So Justin kind of segued off about cybersecurity, and so a um, couple platforms, CNN, and I apologize if we discussed this in the room maybe yesterday. I I don't remember hearing about it, but basically, did we just lose her? I'm not sure. Yeah, thanks. Ground so. control. <laughs> Are you there, Amanda? I think yeah, I think we lost her. Uh-huh. Amanda, I think we lost her. Brendan, you have something? To Major Amanda. Oh no, just wondering. If she's ground control. <laughs> oh, she's not on the stitch anymore. Oh, in the interim, do we? There she is. Do we wanna... She's back. Okay. Can you guys hear me now? Yes. Yes. We, we can. can hear you now. Okay. Yeah. Maybe I was being silenced by the powers that be. So let me know if you can't <laughs> hear me again. Um, so because I was calling out Walmart and their security features, because basically somebody, I don't know that I want to call it a hack, because quite honestly, you don't need any tech background to do this, but they got a hold of basically setting up uh, fake accounts for email addresses that are valid. So for example, I could take like Michael's or Tyler's email address, set up an account, set up a racial like slur as your name or something. And they had email sent out from Walmart with these racial slurs as their names wow. and different information. Um, so yeah, that was all over. I don't know if we covered that, but that's no. Wait, pretty how powerful. Many, how, I, how, I retweeted that. How many... <laughs> How many minutes ago did you tweet it? Uh, I just retweeted it again, maybe not even five minutes ago before we discussed it again. But let me know if you still can't see it. I'll DM it to you, Tyler. But yeah, that's that's pretty big news because here we go again. Sorry, background noise. Um, But Twitter with this whole cropping feature and racial bias. Now we have Walmart sending out these racially, you know, slur emails. Please try it again and, and make sure you send it to T-N-A-T-W. Yeah, I'll, I'll retweet it again now. Okay. Yeah, because that's a pretty powerful story. Yeah, thank you. Okay, we'll do. All right. Yeah, wild. Uh, so, thank you, Amanda. Um, there's a bunch. People are sending all kinds of fantastic articles. Uh, Sarah is sending again that Amazon bought the MGM Studios for eight point four five billion. So retweeting that one. We covered that. And thank you to Cheryl. And then Heyman found our favorite story from earlier today, seven hours ago, and I'm retweeting it now about smart toilets that can scan poop to gauge your bowel health. And as our friend Michael on stage said, this is the good shit. <laughs> <laughs> That's that good shit right there. That's that good shit right here, and it's a smart toilet. So you've got a smart <laughs> phone, you've got a smart home, and maybe a smart office, and you might even live in a smart city, 
and now you've got a smart toilet in your house, uh, which, by the way, it works with any toilet. You don't even have to change the toilet. That's the smartest thing about it is it fits around your pipes. And this smart toilet that I just retweeted, thank you, Heyman. And Heyman has a really interesting fascination with fecal matter. For it just, I don't know what it is, but it comes up a, a little too often, Heyman. But um, the he is a doctor. So uh, researchers are developing an artificial intelligence tool for toilets that could help analyze the patient's stools. The technology could give gastroenterologists the information they need to provide appropriate treatment for chronic issues such as inflammatory bowel disease and irritable bowel field syndrome. It's coming from Duke University and Stanford University, and it's already proving to be incredibly accurate at detecting blood in stool samples, et cetera, et cetera. And it, and it fits right into the fact that Amazon and uh, others are getting into the health space and it's, it, health is becoming digitized. And the question is, whose shitty data is it? Is it yours or Amazon's? Who controls your poop this data? This is going to get worse. Yeah. <laughs> whose shit is it? Anyways, is it, whose shit is this? Um, and maybe as part of this. <laughs> Time to flush away that story. <laughs> whose shit is this? This, this, was, this was first discovered. This was first discovered to actually help with um, detection of a coronavirus epidemic. So it was discovered in Italy and then uh, um, very, very early on. And they discovered that um, uh, analysis of sewage can can actually say from an epidemiological point of That's view right. where the areas uh, of uh, contagion might happen. And, um, and the UK has really um, uh, taken this on board and something like about 60 to 70% of its sewage is now tested for, for, for coronavirus. That's exactly right. right. That's some shit. <laughs> Ain't that some shit right there. Oh, um. <laughs> <laughs> but the the issue about smart toilets is very interesting. I mean, all of the sensors that are coming. And by the way, somebody sent me an article today. I need to find it. That Google is uh, here. It is right here. Right. Boom. Here it is. Wall Street Journal. Google partners with U.S. hospital chain HCA Healthcare to develop algorithms to improve operating efficiency, monitoring of patients and guide doctors decisions. Tech giant expands health sector presence in latest deal to develop tools to improve medical care as privacy concerns arise because they're 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 checking out your shit. They're all up in your shit. <laughs> We're back to that again. <laughs> well, it says in the story, tech giants expand um, health sector presence. Why are you all up in my shit? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's the second time you've had the giggles like that. That's the by by the way, the Japanese toilets are already checking the condition of our waste since 2009. That shit is crazy. But anyway, yeah, the AI is a <laughs> I have, I have it at home, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> One banana a day. Somebody needs to come up with a new headline. Yeah. Sorry, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah. The, the, 
<laughs> the privacy concerns around the data is well very, done. very real. <laughs> Don't it's, touch my shit. Yes. <laughs> that was so funny. Oh. Can we can we move on from this? I'm shit? sorry. <laughs> sorry. Shits and giggles. Yes. But Google's getting into the health tech game, as is Amazon, because it's a huge, huge space. <clears throat> and um, it's, it, there's just a shitload of opportunity in the healthcare space, <laughs> apparently. But, um, oh, Jesus. Um, um, Ain't that some shit. Yeah, th there's, there's going to be the, the blood testing, the urine testing, the stool sampling the smart toilet i i used to joke about the smart toilet you know six weeks ago and here it is right so um let's see how fast this all unfolds because i can imagine in the near future you will be your your toilet will tell you you need to schedule a call with a with a doctor you know while you're sitting on your phone on your toilet you know looking at youtube and now your toilet's telling you you should initiate a call from your doctor in real time to talk about the uh, bowel movement that you just had. And it might be able to test both your stool and your urine. It can detect blood in there. And no doubt the amount of data that it will be, be able to detect and the sensors built into these things and the amount of, you know, kind of la miniature lab in your toilet, it's going gonna, it's gonna to get very, very interesting very quickly. And these, yeah, go ahead, Shirley. Yeah, uh, this is, yeah, Shirley. So, you know, last week we were speaking about black mold, mycotoxins yes. and stuff, and we related this to coronavirus. Now, we all know that coronavirus is not going anywhere. So, as and when people start using or abusing antibiotics, we, we talked about this, cancers, people who are, let's say, uh, immunosuppressed, it could be really important for them. So, you get early warning signals to help prevent uh, the progression of certain diseases. So, I think that's really cool. Obviously, ownership is, is a fact that needs to be resolved but otherwise for the patient i think um monitoring and diagnostics i think this is a really great thing hmm. very cool so um <laughs> more head uh, anyone on stage something to share i have a ton in my feed i just want to make sure everyone on stage has a chance to jump in and we got a bunch of i had one thing go ahead tina so um this is from, and it's more of a question, but as well as an observation. Are we aware that Microsoft has a major event that they've been holding for the last two days? No, not so much. Oh, how the mighty have fallen. Yeah. So Microsoft <laughs> Build, it's a major, major, their, their annual developer event. Uh -huh. Yeah. Just wanted to mention, because that, if, I know that we've been following Apple and Google and everybody else. Yes. I, I don't know if there's necessarily anything major that's coming out of it, but well, um, there I is, just thought it was Gates. interesting. Actually, actually there is. Gates. Yeah. Uh, no, uh, the headline from Microsoft lately was that <clears throat> Satya, the CEO, made a video this morning where he talks mm -hmm. about he's more excited than ever about all the opportunities for builders and cr their own what they call creatives or developers on on windows because he reminds everyone that there's more than a billion uh, windows devices and um he thinks it's you know the best time ever to be building he thinks their platform is the platform uh where you can have the most economic opportunity as he put it in his video but to, you bring up a really interesting point which is as developers i mean developers are, are a, a sort of type of creative they're creating software. 
And some of them, you know, every app you use, you know, is, is made by developers who are, in essence, a type of creative. And creatives, developers have a choice of which platforms to build on. You can build on Windows platform or on Facebook. You can build an app on top of Facebook. You can build an app for the iPhone and, and build on Apple's platform. And each of these platforms are competing for these creatives and have for a very long time. And famously, Steve Ballmer of Microsoft stood on stage and screamed, developers, 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 because he knew that that's the business they are in is competing with Apple and other platforms for the developers. In the same way, we were just talking about how Instagram is going to compete with TikTok and YouTube, who is very literally paying TikTok creatives to leave TikTok to come to their platform, because the future is more than software developers. It's social media influencers. And which platform is going to have the, the most of the influencers, because that's who's going to drive the social shopping commerce phenomena of the future. Uh, but to your another interesting aspect to the point that you're making is Microsoft is doing their big annual developer conference as we speak. We are not doing a live stream about it in the same way that we just did Google's event two weeks ago, the same way we're going to do Facebook's event on June 2nd in a few days and Apple's huge event. Uh, and so to your point, you're right. It is kind of um, uh, an interesting note that people aren't as interested in, in Microsoft's annual build event like they are uh, Apple's and Facebook's and Google's. I think, a little more to be much. honest with you, I think this divorce might have a little something to do with it. Like, I feel like all the news coverage that happened with his divorce, people are kind of just Microsoft out right now. Uh, well, there is there is an interesting headline that's coming out as a kind of side note to the event, which is um, the USB standard, you know, which started out with the USB uh, plugs and now has evolved into right. USB-C is the new standard and the, and the b wonderful, beautiful, genius innovation that took them a decade to figure out is you should be able to use the cable <laughs> and upside down in either direction um, with USB-C. Well, yeah, what a genius. It only took a decade. And um, <laughs> the, US, the USB-C standard is now being upgraded to 2.1. Uh, and what is special about USB two point USB C two point one? Well, I'm glad you asked. USB C two point one is now going to support power upgrades up to 240 watts, which previously it was 100 watts, uh, and is aimed to now be able to support uh, uh, many more more powerful de devices like the new 4K display monitors and the very powerful gaming laptops so that you can because most monitors are running you know at, at you know 2k essentially but the monitor resolutions are getting much much higher but for those much higher monitor resolutions like 4k monitors 8k monitors which apple released recently and everyone else is going to be releasing soon um you're going to need this new usb 2.1 uh format to power these much more data intensive and power intensive displays. So that's uh, the, the new update coming out of that. And cabled uh, VR headsets as well. Yes. Uh, yes. The, the data stream between your VR headset and your uh, desktop system will likely need to benefit from that as well. Very good point, Carl. Um, uh, Microsoft could surprise us. Um, they talked about releasing, possibly releasing, or getting into the consumer side of their HoloLens. Um, and then coming out of CNET, um, an article 
describes how they want to double down on Windows and how it's going to, I guess, rein reinvigorate and modernize its updated look. Uh, and this is probably going to be the biggest change, uh, supposedly, according to this article, um, since uh, the last update that they made their most dramatic change. Mm. I would be very surprised if they unveiled anything like that at the build, though. It's it's really, really, really niche and, and specifically focused around um, development. Oh, I, I, this speaks to, by the way, the criticism that um, Steve Jobs always had about Microsoft to an extent, which is, you know, it's they don't sell the sizzle. You know, it's a bit dry and um, beige plastic boxes rather than, you know, neon transparent IMAX, you know, and, and the, the amount of design and polish and presentation and salesmanship that Apple has always put into their events. Because they're honestly, their events are just fantastic to watch, even if you aren't a developer. Yeah. So this develop this WWDC yeah. event that's coming up on June seventh with the keynote. I can promise you, if you watch it with us in the live stream, as we just did their other event, you will be stunned how uh, the the production level of this event, this virtual event, the cam oh, yeah. the camera movements are better than any Hollywood film you have ever seen. It's truly. Really groundbreaking level of production that they put into their events, and um, that's kind of one. It's hard for other uh, these other tech companies to even compete on this front. And we even made a comment during the Google Developer event that, in, compared to the Apple events, it felt, it felt like somebody was streaming live from their backyard barbecue at the Google event. You know, <laughs> which it did. That's what it felt like, li very literally. It felt like, uh, is this in, is this in the CEO's backyard? At, you know, at Google, where they're just these people are standing here, you know, talking about the new. It was very low budget by comparison. It was, it was not, yeah, it was. Google it was. Go Apple sp is reportedly spends upwards of fifty million dollars for their one hour keynote presentation. Um. That's that would be like a, a well, they, I mean, they've turned it into what they did is they kind of transcended the tech world and they've turned their keynotes into an actual social event. Like it's an event that people genuinely look forward to as if it was a movie premiere and that they That's go on to talk drive. about. So, yeah, it's really, you know, it's worth the money that they're spending into it because that's clearly a big, big part of their edge. Yeah, but to this Tyler, can I ask you, looking back, yeah. looking back on the two events now, yeah. which in hindsight were you more excited about? Like which did you enjoy more? Taking into account both the production value and the information that was actually given across. Apple and Google? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I very I would put them very equal actually in terms of uh, I, I might same. even I might even give the advantage to Google in terms of overall value. Exactly the same, yeah. slightly ahead, yeah. Yeah. Um, especially with the Lambda and some of the other things. The the interesting thing is Apple spending $50 million on their um, one-hour keynote um, production, that's half the budget of like an X-Men film. So for the same <laughs> length of time. So you can imagine, the. Um, but by the way, the production value is every bit as high as like an X-Men film on, in these things that they're doing. Exactly. It, they're remarkable. They're, they are works of art in themselves, and they hire the best of the best to, to do them. Um, so do do join us when we do watch the next Apple one on June 7th. I'm going to add it to the calendar shortly. And do join us for Facebook's event on J June 2nd, which is just a few days away. Um, and I'll, we'll be thrilled, of course, if Michelle's in the room to kind of help us unpack some of the questions that might come up. Of course, she won't be able to 
talk about a lot of it, but uh, anything she says is always incredibly appreciated and valuable. And um, we're super excited to see what Facebook is going to announce, although hint, hint, uh, it's going to be social shopping and it's going to be Shopify and I'm going to click the buy button. I'm even going to buy Shopify stock an hour before the event because I'm not sure that they're going to announce Shopify during the event. But you can watch together with us to see if I'm wrong. And um, more headlines. Um, here, Here's a new one. New York Times just came out a couple hours ago. An overview. New York Times and coming from Reuters and Gadget, BBC and CNBC all reporting. And oh, this is the headline of the New York Times, an overview of Russia's increasingly aggressive attempts to control Google, Facebook and Twitter, ordering them to store data in Russia and imposing fines. Now, Um, I will tweet this out and let's go with the BBC one because they're all covering this. Russia threatens to slow down uh, Google over banned content. And then you've got the. CNBC says Russia threatens to slow down Google for failing to delete prohibited content and issuing fines. And Gadget says Russia makes good on its threat to fine Google over illegal Internet content. But by the way, it was interesting when we dug into the story in the previous time zone that Russia specifically named the, uh, the, the, the thing that they feared was the ability to kind of destabilize and create um, narratives, you know, that are destabilizing which, by the way, is precisely what today uh, Facebook's head of uh, data security accused Russia of, was <laughs> very explicitly that. And and not once and not twice, but hundreds of times where Russia is intentionally using Facebook in a weaponized way to destabilize and cause friction and division within the U.S. So a little, a little rich for Russia to be claiming that, you know... Um, you know they're they're now fining Google for doing the same because it'd be very easy for them to block uh, those services in Russia if they so choose if they're able to slow down the services as they claim and of course they are able to do that then of course they could just pull the plug on them which is quite likely to happen. Um, San Jose approves Google's plans for a downtown campus with four thousand new homes. This is interesting, folks. San Francisco Chronicle and others reporting in the Bay Area. That San Jose, which is, by the way, everyone talks about the Bay Area, which stretches from San Francisco all and, and the Bay Bridge, the, the Golden Gate Bridge, rather, all the way down to San Jose. And it actually takes about two hours to drive that whole distance. And that Tyler, whole, yes, Bay Area is far above the Golden Gate Bridge. It includes Marin and it barely includes San Jose. I'm just going to say, OK. Uh, we, yep. Now we're getting into locals debating where the borders of, quote unquote, Silicon Valley are. But um, yep. uh, I, I, what I want to do, the point I'm trying to make is that San Jose is, is part of Silicon Valley. And I would even go below San Jose to where the origins of the silicon in the ground actually are down there in Campbell, south of San Jose. So I'm counting San Jose because a lot of the employees who work at the big tech companies up in Sunnyvale and, and uh, Mountain View, a lot of them live in San Jose. So my point is, is that the article, the headline today from the San Francisco Chronicle is as follows. San Jose approves Google's plans for a downtown campus with 4,000 new homes. Why is Google building homes? 7 million square feet of office space, 15 acres of parks, 50,000 uh, of retail and other space. It sounds like they're building a city. And in fact, they are. I was about to say that. Yeah. They, 
Yeah, this is huge. It's something that's happening with all the, I've been noticing this, um, Microsoft is, I feel like all the, all the big players are basically building their own little cities at this point. Here it goes. This is breaking, this is big, and I can talk about this. I'm going to retweet it now so everyone can follow along if they want from the Tech News Twitter account at TNATW. But this is, uh, mark my words, this is a big deal. Um, I'm, and it will get more coverage. If I can, yeah. if I can add huge. some historical data, at least in Europe, it used to be like that, that big companies like in, um, even like soup companies, um, steel companies, and all these companies used to build their own little towns for their employees with Correct. all kinds of infrastructure and schools and yeah. everything. It's a very good point. Uh, I don't the think headline. It's... Let's go through the headline yeah. and, then, and yep. then do the discussion. And here, and I'll, and I, yep, there, yeah, Detroit to a degree as well, right? Some, sounds like someone turned into a robot. Um, so uh, the, the point I want to make here is even in Stockholm, you're, I have an example of the big generator company, Atlas Copco, built a small town outside of Stockholm called Sikla, uh, which was recently purchased by friends of mine at a big real estate company and converted their little city campus into a new town, with, still with the name Sikla. And here is Google. Now, this, there's, this is super, super interesting. Hold on with us for the next 10 minutes here. I promise you it'll be worth it. And I happen to have personal professional experience on this exact topic that very, very few people have. So here's what's going on. Google was building its own town outside of Toronto on the water. And that project was years in the making and more or less fell apart uh, relatively recently. And they've essentially uh, abandoned that massive project. And so it was always Google knows they need to build a city, actually. And so does uh, Toyota. And Toyota is building a city uh, outside of Tokyo near Mount Fuji. It's called the Woven City, where they have autonomous vehicles. And why do these huge tech companies uh, feel the need to build their own cities? Well, you can imagine all of the data that would come from Google using all of their uh, products and services across the whole alphabet uh, supply chain. They have drone companies. They have all of these data companies and sensor companies and the watch companies, and they have dozens and dozens of companies. That's why they changed the name to Alphabet, because they have a company for every letter of the alphabet now. So they need to build their own city to see what happens in the futuristic cities so they can um, figure out what the real monetizable opportunities are mm-hmm. in the future 10 years from now. When data is flowing everywhere between your gym and your doctor and your supermarket and your toilet and your smart toilet and all of this stuff gets uh, digitized because we're going from your phone became a smartphone, your car is becoming a smart car, your home's becoming a smart home, your office is becoming a smart office and your city is becoming a smart city. And they need to know what happens when a city becomes a smart city because if you get a 10 year head start, then you get to set the tone and dictate the terms and see understand the opportunities before everybody else and provide the solutions and services and products for the futures of these smart cities and next thing you know you're controlling the world from a data platform perspective right so now you understand why google really wants to build a city which they tried to do in 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 toronto it didn't work out and now they're building it right next to their own global campus which is in uh, mountain view and they're building this just down the road from mountain view in san jose 
not coincidentally, because a lot of their employees already work in San Jose. So the headline from the San Francisco Chronicle is, uh, as I mentioned, the Google's San Jose mega campus wins the city approval. Wow. After more than three years of negotiations, San Jose officials voted late Tuesday to approve Google's plans for a sprawling downtown campus with thousands of new homes, thousands of homes that Google will own all the data in those homes, millions of square feet of office space, and a first-of-its-kind $200 million community benefit agreement. It's a deal that business, labor, and community groups say could signal a shift in Bay Area development politics, particularly as San Jose, long overshadowed by neighboring San Francisco, looks to rebound from the pandemic with more active public spaces near transit, but in a region long accustomed to isolation, suburban tech campuses and big dollar affordable housing commitments. Some still question how exactly a $155 million community fund will be spent and whether it will be enough to offset familiar concerns about gentrification, homelessness and daily issues like parking. Well, don't you worry, San Jose. I'm sure Google has plans for all of those things, leveraging all of their fantastic innovations and technologies. But my point is, is Google understands the opportunity here. That's why they have uh, uh, working very hard to find a city that where they could do a project like this. And all the other big tech companies, not all, but those who can are going to do it as well. And guess what? I was trying to do this myself with the big Swedish tech companies like Ericsson, who creates 3G, 4G, 5G, Bluetooth, SMS, and every every technology on your phone for the past 20 years came out of Stockholm by a company called Ericsson. So Ericsson and myself and Telia, the big tech company, and Amazon in the Nordics and Uber in the Nordics and many others, the big postal company called PostNord, um, and so amongst a few, we're getting together every month. We had found a part of Stockholm that we were going to make into a smart city. And it was a part of Stockholm called the Meatpacking District, which in Swedish is called Slaktusområdet, uh, which every Swede knows. And the Meatpacking District um, is actual meatpacking companies. It's not just a name. It, they literally, it literally is the Meatpacking District. However, this, it's now this, the size of Stockholm. Stockholm is the fastest growing city in Europe, by the way. And so they need to move those meatpacking companies further outside the city, and they want to redevelop the meatpacking district into a mixture of housing and retail and offices and schools. And so when I first arrived as a uh, government um, uh, contractor, uh, uh, um, advisor, or what was the word I'm looking for, consultant, uh, I said, wow, this meatpacking district area is fantastic. And everyone said, no, that's just the meatpacking district. I said, well, that's where, to me, that's the future of the city. And that was eight years ago when I first arrived. And three, uh, two years ago, they said, hey, Tyler, actually, we're going to redo the meatpacking district. We know you loved it when you arrived here eight years ago. And I said, great. So all of my partners, and I produced a big tech event in Sweden every year. And all of those big brands I mentioned are my partners. And when I meet with them and I said, guys, what is exciting to you this year? Which, which tech topics are exciting to you? Like VR, AR, AI, what, what have you, food, energy. They all said, you know what's interesting to us now is smart cities. I said, really, smart cities? They said, yeah, that's, what, that's, that's the theme that we find exciting for our company in the future. I said, wow, that's interesting because the city of Stockholm is now planning to redevelop the meatpacking district. So why don't we, me, you, all, you guys are all the biggest companies in the Nordics. Why don't we go build an actual fucking smart city over there in the meatpacking district? 
And the, you know what they said? Let's do it. Fuck yeah, that sounds fantastic. That's yeah. awesome. So we started going over there and meeting there every month. And we had a three-hour meeting every month. And the mayor would come and we would sit there and be like, ah, what's this smart city going to look like and feel like and smell like? And the city would bring in all the future maps of what they had planned for the new metro tunnel that's going to come in and where the parks are going to be and how much uh, they've determined you need to have this amount of retail and this amount of residential and this amount of office and there needs to be a school and yada, yada. Yeah, no problem. We'll build all that. And we were getting all excited and everything was fantastic. And then the big real estate companies started coming to these monthly meetings because Every month we'd say, okay, who needs to be at the next monthly meeting? And we'd say, oh, let's bring in this huge real estate company so that they can be part of it. And the big real estate company started coming in. And so after about six or seven meetings, we wake up one day to a headline in the newspaper that one of the big real estate companies who was attending these meetings bought the entire meatpacking district of eight. It's, it's just to give you some scale. It's about five city blocks by eight city blocks. So it's about 40 blocks, right? And every block has about four buildings on it. So this company called Atrium Loonsbury bought the entire meatpacking district. Uh, and that was just before COVID. So uh, to be continued, as they say, uh, Atrium Loonsbury has their own plans now for the meatpacking district. And they've asked me to help them make it, you know, a tech city and dress it, put the icing on the cake in the form of a futuristic tech city. But all of the partners uh, previously, WeWork was another one, we're all excited about how we were going to all contribute and collaborate together to make the futuristic smart city because our vision in Sweden was if we start building this, then we can start to market Sweden as the, the home, the future smart city project and start inviting in everybody from around the world who wants to work and collaborate in this big sandbox project, you know, of a smart city development where we could test and, and the government would loosen up all the restrictions that you normally have around autonomous vehicles and drone deliveries and data sharing and et cetera. It would be our own little sandbox. So um, that's a bunch of, there. you know, there's other places doing this, by the way, outside of Saudi Arabia, up near Israel and Egypt. Uh, Saudi Arabia has created an autonomous region they call Neom, where they've contributed $5 billion to that project. And that was going along fine until a journalist named Kasoji went into the Saudi Arabian embassy to get some papers for his uh, uh, wedding permit. And he never came out of the embassy, as you well know. So people are afraid to participate in the Saudi Arabia project. And that kind of got shelved. So but the point is, is that there will be these huge, wildly ambitious smart city projects. And apparently San Jose just greenlit Google's um, very ambitious smart city project uh, outside of their campus there in San Jose. So it will be very interesting to see what kind of innovations and data happens between the homes. These are going to be Google-owned apartments, uh, and what kind? I imagine they will be surprisingly affordable because you're going to be paying for that home with your data uh, in some part. And there will be autonomous vehicles driving you from your home to your Google campus. I guarantee you that. And the, the little town will be probably the first little area where you're going to have lots of autonomous uh, vehicles and drone deliveries and data sharing between you and your building and the deliveries you're receiving and your supermarket and your gym and your doctor and your school will be sharing all kinds of data. And you're going to have an app on your phone that gives you permission to turn on the data. You know, your doctor is asking for data from your gym. OK, fine. Click on. OK, and now you're, you know. 
this other source is asking for data from this other source. Okay, click on. And, you know, that's the data essentially to make a, a phone smart, you add in chips and data. And to make a car smart, you add in chips and data. And to make a home smart, you add in, well, chips and data. And to make a city smart, yeah, well, guess what? So you need, you're, you're basically adding in the data layers uh, that has not really been done anywhere yet. And that's why uh, Google and others are interested in doing this. Tyler, hey, Tyler, is that what it says? Is... Yeah, the opt-in there is going to be crazy. Yeah. And it's also yeah, it might... to, to say that it's within that city, like it's it's a, if they say it's downtown San Jose, so it's a few blocks, right? I mean, yeah. it's a big, a big space, but it's within a, a, an existing city. So like you're, your gym and your doctor and stuff aren't in that little paradigm. Yeah. I mean, there's other ways to connect, but it seems more of what they're doing is is possibly the autonomous cars that you're saying and the drones and then uh, activities within the home because they like to, you know, of course, they want to market to you. So what are your, they're going to have en- enhanced stuff there. But is it, I, I can look at the article, but does it say that you're actually going to be giving up all that data by living there? No. I think Jennifer, it's, it's also I, California. I imagine, I imagine based on what Tyler said, the opt-in would be yeah. based on the fact that you get a cheaper house, right? So that's the sign. You're, you're, you're going to sign up for it the same way that you sign up for software. You're just going to click, I agree. You're going to see a home and the home is oh, going to be half the price of a in, normal home. Just click, I agree. Okay, fine. And next thing you know, all in of California, your, next thing you know, some of the strictest data privacy. I mean, that's, yeah. that's, but you just to click, you click to the agree button. And next thing you know, your smart toilet is all up in your ass, sharing your, <laughs> your shitty data with your doctor. <laughs> Tyler, this reminds me a little bit of the modern version Hi. of feudalism that was already Hello, there in the Middle Ages in Europe. Hi. So it's probably similar to what Stanford University has done with their with. Um, and although they, they've been in the Bay Area for 100 plus years, but um, if you look at what they've done, um, anyone who lives on campus or on property, which I'm not sure if anybody's aware of this, but Stanford University owns a considerable amount of property that extends from, I think, uh, El Camino Real all the way up into the the foothills. And anyone who lives on their property gets um, gets to own the home, but not the land. So that may be similar, a similar structure property wise to what Google is going to be doing. Like you'll own the home, but not actually the land. So it's like a 99 year lease. Um, kind of structure to owning whatever it is that you're going to buy. T- Tina, that mm. is a recently a popular, uh, actually, a concept within Europe since the last crisis. So you can, you have a choice of that are buying the land or just the home. But Tyler, I wanted to add something on your smart city concept. So I worked uh, approximately two years in that concept because I was working okay. at NG, the and we participate in the multiple smart city related concepts. Unfortunately, I can just say one thing, it's never going to be a success because it's so difficult and complex um, between the consortiums. Also, when you look at from construction companies point of view, their margin is extremely low. They barely make money and they have to survive and they survive with all the consortiums and the subsidies and grants mainly. So. There is a lot being spoken and, and discussed, but unfortunately, there aren't many successful examples. Right. I, I, don't, Hi. Think, Hi. I don't think you sound like an AI. First go on. Yep. Sorry. <laughs> well, the it, it's Suzanne. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to just jump in here because I was with Sun, and it's the concept, if you build a campus, they will come. And the problem within the Bay Area, you can build the 
great campuses, which have the restaurants and the gyms. And it's basically a world in itself, right? You'll build the campus. They will come. They will work from 6 a.m. until 9 p.m. But the problem within the Bay Area, what happened, and by the way, the Bay Area starts from San Francisco down to San Jose. Don't let um, Jennifer tell you otherwise. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But in Silicon Valley, the people can't afford a house. They can't afford a house to live. So, for instance, when I worked for some. This is a smart city. That's what they're talking about here. This is going to have housing. What they're doing, they're building now, instead of just a campus, they're building a city within a city. It will be a Google city. They, they aren't going to get your data. They don't, they don't care about your data when you go potty, to be honest. What they care about is how many hours are you working and are you going to be working for them? And if they build that city within the city, which they've done, they've bought up all the land, right? So they've gone into homeowners and they've said, hey, your house that's worth $1.4 million will give you one point eight for it because they have the money they need the people right yep, they need to exactly attract the, point. the people i currently work in the smart city realm more so for on the public safety side trying to do the internet of things and connecting things back to the network so the 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 issue with google just as uh what's her name as Susan just brought up, the problem is they're trying to build within uh, structures that are already known, and they don't build to the ideal person. They don't build to how people live. That's the problem with a lot of our our our, our passionate technical people. They they build based upon their own thoughts and what they think people want instead of going in there and doing a true assessment. Um, part of what I do is I do an assessment before I go in, mostly with the public safety to see, um, to gauge their tolerance for the new technology that's going to be in place to make sure that they'll be able to use it to make sure that the profit margins and our, um, the, the return on investment will be there. I've implemented license plate readers, video surveillance, and other things to make sure not only that the police will be utilizing this technology, but to also make sure that the citizens will be comfortable with, uh, with the use of it and to show them the benefits of taking their tax dollars and uh, putting it into that. Google, on the other hand, just go in and build. They already have a failed city actually in Toronto, right in Toronto. Yep. They have a failed city. They, that's because they go in there and it's narcissistic and They talk to some of the council people who are literally only doing this so they can get real share. They have plans to, I don't know. Sounds like we're losing you. 